0: everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble. Movie Mumble is a monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends watch a movie and then talk about it. But this month's episode is different than normal. If this is your first episode of Movie Mumble, we would highly recommend you go listen to a different episode first to get a feel for what our typical podcasts are like. This one is going to be different because of the subject matter of our chosen film, which is The Holocaust. If you find this topic particularly difficult or upsetting, please feel free to skip this episode. Don't worry about it. In light of this extremely important topic, I have something I want to say before we begin the episode. A preface. As mentioned, our chosen film this month is a Holocaust film, so much of our discussion will undoubtedly be about the Holocaust. But the podcast is still a casual, a conversational one. This is not a historical examination. Uh, We're going to let the topic change and flow we might move from talking about holocaust to about holocaust films to the film industry to to anything else i don't know where it's going to go um when we move to lighter topics we may end up making jokes or talking lightheartedly but this is not an attempt to make light of the holocaust or minimize its lasting impact or the suffering of millions it's just four friends having a conversation letting it go where it may As in the regular episodes, I'll try to steer the topic towards the main film for a while, and after a certain point, just start letting things flow, uh, just like the normal episodes, so I don't know where things are going to go. But again, nothing we do is out of an intent to make light of the topic. We may even choose to change the subject on purpose, just to take a break from our main subject. Very importantly, none of us are experts. We're just four friends sitting here discussing history. Okay, we'll share our opinions, we'll share facts we've learned, we'll ask questions, but we are not historians. We are not Holocaust experts. If you want to learn more about this, we encourage you to do so with reputable, expert sources like the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, the Jewish Virtual Library Project, or by viewing actual photographs and documents at the U.S. National Archives. We'll have links to these resources on the episode webpage on nerdsletgeek.com. Lastly, the entire cast of Movie Mumble and the entire staff at com absolutely does not condone Holocaust denial of any kind at all. We'll touch on this subject a little bit more later in the episode, but for now I think I've talked quite enough. I'm here tonight with my three good friends, Joel Lewis, hello, Tim Gerard, hello, and Zeke Perez. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for Agreed to discuss this. i know this is much more serious than our normal episodes
1: yeah so this this month scott was our selector and i don't think we've we've heard the name of the film we're discussing today yet he chose night and fog a harrowing documentary about the holocaust yeah, Scott. Uh... <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. I like, little, no, it's fine. Place, I know, I know. You talked a lot, ball,
0: but no, you're good. I, I, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll... It's, it's it is a documentary, um, and it's it's only about what thirty five minutes, thirty five, thirty nine minutes. 33. It's very short, thirty three. Thank you. And it's about the Holocaust, but also it was made in 1955. <laughs> it's it's very early on in the history of the Holocaust on the film screen, and I know I've mentioned before I like, took an entire class about. Holocaust represented through film throughout history, and this was the film we started with, which is, I I always meant to bring a film from that class to the podcast, but that's why I chose this one. It was our starting point for the class, and I felt it would be a good starting point here, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's footage from what was the present day, 1955, of the, the ruins of the camps and facilities intercut with actual video footage and photography from the Holocaust and a narrator in French and some english subtitles and that 's it it 's just it's just information there 's nothing else to it. you know this is not a a band of brothers type production. this is entirely informational and uh pretty seriously affecting it doesn 't really pull any punches there's no no effort made to sort of. I don't know the term, right, to clean up or make PG what's in there. There was just a touch of censorship in the original release, which we'll talk about later. But, um, you know, everything you can't put on your TV program these days, or the history channel won't show these days, I guess, you know, it's it's all here, right? It's very vivid, very uh, no punches pulled. So the first thing I want to do actually is ask all of you for first impressions. I know we're kind of rushing into it, but I really, I really want to know because this is probably the shortest film we'll ever watch, uh, <laughs> but might leave one of the biggest impacts. Who would like to start? I, I could go first. Oh, and, I <laughs> um, if this taught you anything new or just if you want to talk about your your previous study of the topic anywhere i you know where where were you starting from before you watched the film and then first impression yeah thank you
1: yeah so i I'll, i'll start with one of the first thoughts i had was kind of going into the film i was like oh god scott chose this i don't know what to expect why why would he pick it it seems really really um Traumatic to to witness. I mean, as as far removed from the actual events as we are, it's still like a, a traumatic experience. So I I was really curious going in. What was it about the film that made you bring it? And I think I I knew within two frames, like I like the skill with which this film is made is incredible. It's very cinematic and it's very pointed and it is very blunt and matter of fact. And it is very skillfully made, like very effective camera work and intercutting um, going in. I mean, uh, this is the closest to describe the experience of watching this film. The closest I can align it to is visiting the Holocaust Museum in D.C which I did in eighth grade and it was the only thing we did that day as the only thing we could do that day. It was just so, and I mean, at eighth grade, it was like, you, you understood the weight of it. That building is very in the same way, very blunt, very specific very very well made to convey hopelessness and this kind of, very raw presentation of humanity's capability for evil. And so that, that was, as I was watching it, kind of my first reactions were kind of, um, well, I can talk about specifics, but the, the one thing I was going to say, and Scott, you brought this up at the end of last episode was the score was a bit dissonant um, at the time. And uh, there, there's a technological reason for that. But for a while, I was kind of leaning on that, and I was like, "Oh, the score is kind of saving this for me. It's allowing me some mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic distance." Mm-hmm. And then the footage and and the archival um, and all material came together, became yeah. more and more intense, and I didn't have that score to cling to anymore because it was. And I, I think that's also really effective, uh, a, a part of it. So mm-hmm. I, like I said, it, it, watching it was harrowing. It, it, it reaffirmed things that I I knew already before, but also made me consider things I never really conceived of. Um, and those were horrifying um, realizations to make and to think about. Um, but like I said, I, my initial going into the film, I, I was like, oh God, why? And very rapidly, I was like, this, this is a very important piece of filmmaking because it's so competently made, masterfully made. And I think it, it balances, it, it has very clear direction and and reason for being. Um, I'm curious to find out why it was made and what was the audience for it. But it, I, I, I'm glad to have seen it. I won't say I enjoyed it, but I'm glad to have seen it. And I'm interested to see what we talk about in relation to it. <sighs> and more whiskey. Uh. Mm-hmm.
2: Tim and Zeke, what would one um, of you like to go next? I'll go next, um, partially because I I also wanted to to talk about the score. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. So, I mean, I'm I'm not a huge history person, but I know of the Holocaust and it's like, I mean, I I know probably what most people know who haven't dug deeper, like it happened, it was horrible, you know, and it should never happen again and, you know, there's I I feel like um I don't know if I should say current times but and maybe it's also been throughout time since that's happened there's definitely this sense of like you know we can never let that happen again and anytime we see something creeping up that looks similar um i feel like we get we get very kind of uh defensive towards it which is good it's good that we're i I feel like as a race we don't want that to happen again but i feel like sometimes different groups of people uh have different ideas about what that means and. you know, they'll be okay with certain things that other groups of people are like, Hey, this is just like that. And they're like, no, it's not. This is for a, a good reason, you know, that we're doing this.
1: Real um, quick to clarify, Tim Mate as a, the human race, not, not our race as a race. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're absolutely for, right. Yeah. We've been very I know, specific you're right. That's, and careful. Yeah, I, very I, specific. I knew what you meant, but I wanted to make sure it yeah. was crystal clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so as the the human race,
2: um, you know, oh, oh the, and maybe that's part of it too. Is that maybe it isn't even the whole human race? Because you know, like like you mentioned earlier, Scott, there are people who are deniers, and we'll get into that. So it's like, obviously, this didn't reach everybody. Um, anyway, I think I think the main thing with me is it was just very visceral. It was hard to really think about stuff, and it was it was more just kind of like you know the. I, I, I guess part of it is I didn't really learn anything new. Like I was aware of all of this and it wasn't that, um, you know, I had some sort of glossed over version of it. Um, but it's like, you know, you kind of know of it and I don't, yeah, I don't know that I ever went to the Holocaust museum as a kid. Like I've been to DC and I don't know that I've ever been there. Um, I mean, I mustn't have, I feel like if I would have, it would have stuck with me. Um, so I guess for lack of a better term, my, my knowledge before this was very academic, you know, just like, yes, I learned about this in school. I know that it happens. I know it's horrible. I'm not thinking less of it, but there was never, yeah, never really that visceral connection. So so that was kind of, I guess I was, yeah, I was glad to watch this because I feel like, especially lately, uh, I, I tend to, I don't know if it's because I'm older and I've become desensitized to things. Because I've just been so used to kind of where where the world has been going and headed lately that it's just like you you can't you can't like get emotionally involved in every terrible thing that's going on in the world, and I think I've been like that for too long, so I was kind of like, yes, this will kind of you know give me the like the kick in the chest I need to kind of feel like like remember how shitty the world is you know instead of like i'm just gonna kind of look straight ahead and not really i mean I'm, I'm definitely aware of what's going on around me like i said i haven't i haven't stopped to feel what's going on around me as a, as a survivor. phrase state.
1: stop to feel yeah. is such a great phrase
2: and and here's another disclaimer i want to give is it, i may compare certain things to that but i i in no way think that they're on the same level it's more just um you know, how they always warn us about not repeating history. And I feel like they, mm. people send, tend to say that in the same breath as doing the things that have been done in the past. And, 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 you know, and that's, that's one of the biggest things I've seen is the people who will say, who are the biggest advocates for learning about history. So we don't repeat it. And it's like, you were the fuckers who were doing what this fucker was doing, you know? Um, again, not that we haven't got there. I'm not saying that anything that has been happening in the recent past or, is happen- is as bad as the Holocaust, but you know I, I feel like we, we, have we definitely should know better. Sitting
0: here in the twenty first century, yeah, right. And it's yeah, it's right. Nice to have films like this to bring it closer, right? Bring the reality closer, right? Yeah. and maybe
2: that's part of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah like that. Maybe you that's know, part you're, of it too. You're sitting there with your ice cream cone and you drop it. Oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Shit, you know, right. like yeah, yeah. We don't mean that, <laughs> right. right? And it's right, nice right. sometimes to you know, get that perspective again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, I was glad for that. I was glad to, to be affected by this in a, in a way that, like I said, I had only really been aware of it on an an intellectual level. Um, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I, I had seen the photos, but I think they were probably, uh, you know, again, still photos were one thing, or maybe a clip here and there of video footage, but to kind of be like immersed in it for that, that amount of time. Um, yeah, I was grateful that it was only a half an hour, but I was I was grateful for that half hour to feel like you know, I did a little bit of my part to to kind of um you know to like I said to sit in those feelings um and be uh um be reminded of of how how shitty people can be. Um again, that's something that's always there too at an academic level. Like I I, I I've definitely accepted like You know, yeah, like people as a whole, I don't want to say are garbage because I'm sure it's, you know, there, there are plenty of good people, but I feel like this is a perfect example of how, you know, how easily a mass of people can just go along with a crowd and do the worst things, the worst things in history and feel completely justified in it, you know? So, so I mean, after seeing something like that, one of my
0: sociology classes actually, yeah, about a famous, Sociological study called the Milgram Experiment by Stanley of Milgram. Mm-hmm. And he was specifically trying to examine, you know, people's resistance to authority and and willingness to follow orders and that sort of thing in relation to the Holocaust. Yeah. So, yeah. And we can dump I, I guess, I, yeah, if you'd like.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I feel like, I guess that's part of my point too is that I don't think that that happened just because, like, they were German and every other. Country is immune to that potentially happening. Right. I think the fact that that could happen everywhere is a sign of how shitty people are as as a whole. You know, I think, and I think that's, I think that's um, one of the scariest things to me is I feel like there are, uh, however you want to classify it, countries, religions, um, races, whatever that think they're immune to that, and that nothing they could ever do would ever be that because they are the good people. Um, And I think that that doesn't make them better. That makes them worse because I feel like they'd be more susceptible to that because they couldn't possibly do something like that. And I, yeah, it's, it's this uh, this otherness of like, Oh, they did that because they're this, but we're over here. And we're the good guys, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and forgetting the fact that I'm sure they thought they were the good guys too. Um, So anyway, Yeah. All of this is stuff that's, again, has been thoughts and ideas that I was aware of, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was, like I said, I, I was glad I wasn't happy, but I was glad to, to sit in that and experience that, um, for whatever, you know, uh, as, as a tribute to them, you know, to what, you know, a small minuscule fraction of what they actually went through for me to kind of watch that, um, and yeah, on, so on another note, the music, I, I feel, and I, yeah, for me, I and I get what you're saying, Joel, about how it kind of made it so that you could go through that journey, but I, I feel like, yeah, maybe the music was trying to make it more palatable, but I, I didn't want that. You know, I wanted, I personally wanted the music to be as dark as the film was.
0: There's a moment when the first shot of a train arriving at Auschwitz happens, where the music is purposefully disrupted to take
1: away the the comfort blanket. Yeah, yeah, Tim. I the the whole time as well. (laughs) The whole time watching, I was so thankful that it wasn't played to silence, because this this film to silence would have like the. Honestly, I think the only reason I got through it was because I had the security blanket of the, the score in the the moments. Yeah, there, like it, it, yeah, it.
2: And yeah, and yeah, that idea had occurred to me that yeah, that it did it did help to lighten the film. But I, I mean, I yeah, I kind of I you know again, me personally, I found it distracting a lot of the time. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. you know and, and 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 silly sort of at a. At a time when you know we shouldn't be silly and i think there were times where it did take a darker turn and i was like okay is maybe that the idea that to make this moment more effective where the music actually does line up and takes you to that place as opposed to yeah being a security blanket kind of all along um it it, yeah i I had to try to tune the music out because i feel like if i listened to the music it was kind of again like i i i wanted to feel the feelings. and I feel like the music was pulling me out of that, you know, and it was trying to help me, but I was like, I don't, I don't want help. I want to, I want to.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tim. Zeke, what did you think? Uh,
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I'll keep rolling on the score piece and talk about that first. Um, Because similarly, I think I was expecting this to be silent. I, I don't know that I was expecting a score. And so I think you know, within the first few beats of the movie, it, it definitely took me out of it. Um, so it's it's been interesting to hear you all talk about that, and um, you know, that music as a as a security blanket. Um, because I have the same thought, Tim. I you know, it started, and I was like, well, that's kind of a more upbeat, more silly music than I would have expected. And Joel, I think you mentioned, you know, maybe some technological or um, some sound reasons for that. And I was wondering that too. I mean, cause that's kind of a sound that I do associate with that era, I guess, in filmmaking and in, in TV and, and movies, just kind of that type of sound and score. So I guess for the time period that it, it was made, made sense, but for the subject matter, it didn't. And I think that was pretty shocking to me. I like, again, I just thought it would be silent. So that was, that was kind of a very first, first impression because as soon as the music started playing, I was like, well, you know, I don't know. It just kind of jarred me a little bit. Um, I mean, but I think overall the other thing that jarred me was just, it's a devastating feeling to watch this. Um, I think we've touched on this too, but in the comfort of your own home. Right. And the ability to press pause and the ability to have a drink next to me or have food next to me while I watch it and kind of, feeling guilty for doing that right i was eating and drinking while i was watching it and um you know as you see images of people starved to death and then kind of just thinking about the comfort that i have and the luxuries that i have and it's almost hard to believe that this is the same world right that we that alone right this is the same world that we could live in in the same universe or the same um i don't know as, as something like this uh and then to think about the timing and Scott, you mentioned, right. This was just 10 years after those camps closed. So the, the filmmaking was even closer to it, but still distant. So to watch this in in 2021 and think that we exist on the same planet that, 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 these atrocities happened on it kind of, uh, I think it hurts to watch. I think is the, is the only way to say that. Um, and I, we got into the, uh, you know, things happening currently. And I think there's obviously still this association we do too as humans. Um, Just thinking the other day, I was in my office at work and heard some noise outside and was looking down at the street and there was a big protest going down um, Lincoln and was reading the signs and looking at the flags and trying to figure out what it was about and ended up looking up on Twitter. um, And it was a protest for uh, the Tigray War and genocide in Ethiopia. And just had to google that up i didn't know anything about that right and and then googled okay that's what that was and then got back on with my day um you know so just to think that like even still in other countries there's there's famine and genocide and things like this happening um and it's still so easy to to tune it out and to not make it part of your day um you know, just all very, very hard to process and difficult to think through and watch. Um, I think my other first impression, and I am was hoping we could get to it, too, was curious how many of us had been to the um, U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum um, in D.C. Uh, and I went to D.C. in eighth grade, too, but we didn't do it on that trip. I actually only just went um, a few years ago. And, oh, wow. and my wife, Natalie, and I went and set aside time to do that. She had been to the Holocaust uh, Memorial Museum in Berlin when she studied abroad there. And so, um, we made a point to go to this one while we were in DC and checking out museums and doing all of that. Um, Joel, same thing, right? That was the only thing we planned for that day, right? We had our tickets for that morning. We didn't say, let's, well, we're going to go eat out. We're going to go to another restaurant after we're just going to do that. And, and that's all we were going to be able to do. And we kind of knew that going in. Um, so I think my experience there uh, going through the museum at my age, um, I don't know that I've ever felt like that. And so I think this was as close to to that feeling. And in some ways, the same feeling and, and different. And we can get into this if we do talk about um, the museum a little bit. I'd like to hear about your experience and and talk about mine versus this film. Um, because it's a very similar feeling going through there and watching this. Uh, and I think before that I had read um, night in high school um, as kind of my, not my first experience, of, it, but like a, a deep dive into learning about the Holocaust. And so I have had those in the past, um, those experiences, but I think this is a new one um, and it builds on those, but it, it does offer some unique and very real footage that kind of, Adds to it and, and uh, is hard to shake in some ways. So. Thank you, Zeke. Thank you all.
0: I've, you know, I've never been to the museum in DC. Uh, and actually, thinking about it, I don't know that I ever studied the Holocaust specifically before this class. But I studied World War II as a whole pretty obsessively from mm. a very young age. Um, and I mean obviously anything to do with europe had to do with that and as i got older the books got more graphic you know and but this was sort of the 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 only the first single focus and even then it wasn't so much about the holocaust itself as it was about its portrayal in cinema changing across years and countries and nationalities and how those different portrayals reflect you know, public perceptions in those places and times and that sort of thing. Uh, You know, which is something I can get into later. I've got the film list from the class on hand. Um, I want to ask a little bit specifically about the narration. My notes are mostly just lines
1: from yeah. the narration. I definitely had to write down a couple of the quotes,
0: too. Mm-hmm. I did talk with Zeke and Tim both touched on a bit. I really loved, you know no description, no image can reveal their true dimension. What hope do we have of truly capturing this reality? We can but show you the outer shell, the surface, right? I, what you both mentioned about that, as much as we can possibly understand it and touch it. We can get close, but we we can never really do it.
1: This particular line was mm-hmm. really early. Um, the blood is dried the tongues have fallen silent. The only visitor to the blocks now is the camera. And it. Oh yeah, I don't know how we talk about this, man. I it's
0: it's. What I, I, you I, said, I, Zeke, about um, just ten years, but the camps are abandoned.
1: And then again, what you
0: said, Joel. The only visitor is the camera. You asked Joel, what was the purpose of this film?
1: Yeah, I really am curious to see what the audience was where where this would well.
0: Have so just to be clear, the film was commissioned by two French organizations. i I've been going to try to pronounce them in French: um, a committee on the history of the Second World War, government commission from France, and then Network of Memory, an association devoted to the memory of those deported during the Holocaust. So those are the two groups that commissioned the film, and uh, at least according to the consensus we reached at the time in my historical studies was the whole point of this was to say, we can't forget about this. We abandoned these places and left the earth to cover them. But we can't just go, This was unpleasant and I don't want to understand too bad. You have to remember. We have a responsibility. We have a duty. And yeah, those two lines about the only visitor now is the camera. And of course, even just ten years later, the places are ruins. They're barely standing some of them how easy it would have been to let this slip into into memory into folklore into nothing you know but that was the purpose was that we can't forget um i'll talk a little bit more about this film and some specifics and then i actually would love to broaden it a bit toward um if none of you have anything else more particular you want to touch on to talk about the class i took and about the changing portrayals to history, because then we could talk about other films, some of which you might have seen, some of which I can recommend, some of which you might want to never see after this. You know, you might just go, nah, I'm good, um, which is fine. But
1: uh, I did have, like, yeah, if you, are you going into the content or kind of framing? Because I. I... Uh, both, both, really. Okay. Because so where do you want to go? I, I thought it was really curious the first kind of proviso that they wrote up from the Criterion Collection about the insistence on the director on the importance of treating film like old books, allowing them to age and deteriorate mm-hmm. as these kind of uh, totemic or artifacts um, of storytelling and of portrayal. And I I was really kind of... It, it, I really was intrigued by that concept. I was like, oh, how... I, I see that, but I'm also, like, just give me as clear a picture as possible. And then I really was starting to think about it, like, in the quality of an old book. It's, like, the creases and the cracks show the journey of the artifact as much as the the story and what's what's endured. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. And then we proceeded to watch it, and one of my first thoughts is like, no need to restore this thing. Yeah. Because it, it's, its uh, clarity, it's enough, yeah. It, it, it's it's outstanding cinematography, and the contrast between the the mediums of um, the image and the different sources of the camera work were. It was important that they maintained their original character, and I thought that was really fascinating as as a um a stance to take as a director because i've heard a lot of directors talk about film and i i had never heard that quite it's always like oh it's such a shame that our our best most complete copy of metropolis was degradated and dirty and it was a bad copy that instead of just it just copied dirt lines from the the the, the one that they copied it from and so the kind of like integrity of film and wanting to have as clear a picture as possible was always the kind of the line I was looking at. So just from a, uh, an archival and a um, uh, restoration standpoint, I thought it was a really interesting way to start the film and also temper the film with, this is kind of the, the kind of vision of the director for it and his stance on the artifact of film, which I think is really fascinating. I didn't know if anybody else had any thoughts on that.
0: There's a lot, in here I'll I'll add a few notes from my studies, right? Um they mentioned the Kapos, who were inmates of the camps, but were also more or less actively collaborating. I think that's communicated pretty well, but I wanted to just sort of lay out that specific definition. Um something they don't necessarily touch on is that most of the camps were not death camps. They were labor camps or other Things. So they weren't, the point of the camps wasn't to kill; it was to they weren't going to care very much, obviously, if people died. But it was to to get work out of them or what have you, right? Um, what is something that sometimes comes up in Holocaust denial is how come of all of these camps there aren't any gas chambers at ninety percent of them? Well, it's because that wasn't the point. And this film focuses a lot on the labor on fascism's desire to take these people and put them to a specific use at the cost of their humanity right which is is i think a pretty good focus it's it's pretty realistic um we talked in some of my classes about the the killings at first were much less centralized just done all over the place by specific killing groups that eventually got gas vans it was a whole process these camps are the as weird as it is to say the the pinnacle of of most efficient processing of people um which is i ah, it is i hate that coming out of my mouth um but they cover that a little bit in the film at the beginning with their sardonic dark humor of the the way the camps are built you know government contractors like a football stadium and then piles that... Right.
1: That struck so strong with me because I never really thought about it as yeah. this was a government contract. And I, I work in finance. And I, like I set up vendors, we see invoices come through for building and painting and all that. So I was just thinking of from a paperwork perspective, how many eyes went over those contracts? How, like the, the amount of bureaucratic red tape that stood in the way of these things being created just from like pouring the foundation, the amount of complicity is baffling. And I, it, it, that, that was something I never really thought for some reason in my head, I don't know, like maybe it was the way it was presented in, in high school. And we, and that's the thing. Like I felt like every year when we had American history, it was like revolution, civil war. Oh, we ran out of time. And, like, we had to, like, piece together shit about World War II, or we watched a documentary when somebody was out. Like, I don't feel like I, – I got the gist. Like, I I I watched certain things, and, and we, we made a point to go to the museum while we were in uh, D.C., and, like, that that was really kind of a solidific – before that, I, I knew what the Holocaust was. I had seen photos. We had covered it to a certain extent, but it was never really that clear – in my head and this knowing it's real and knowing it's real. Right. are two different things. Yeah. And, and again, the, the idea in my head, I was just like one night there weren't camps and the next night there weren't. Mm-hmm. And that's not in any way, shape or form how it worked. And it's just, mm-hmm. it is the organization of that atrocity. It, it is un Unfathomably Mm -hmm. deep. Um, Yeah, I had
3: written that quote down too as one to bring up um, because of the sterileness, right, and the distance of it, uh, of needing a bid and and people to think through the planning of of these camps, Um, and then even the next scene, right, when it talks about the different architectural styles of camps, and you have the Japanese style buildings and the. you know, the that style humor I met before. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It's yeah, almost I mean, it's, it's not
0: funny, but it's almost, yeah. Right. And something also that,
1: that also worked with the contrast of the score. In the early going, I was really like, this is a very strange tone to be taking. Because mm-hmm. it almost seems like it um a an impression or a mockumentary. It seems like with, with that music and that content. It almost sounded like he was going to go into lifestyles of the rich and famous, like that style Mm -hmm. of narration. But in in terms of what documentaries were, I don't know. This probably predates all of those. So I don't know what it's making fun of. I don't know. And that I just I was really and that's the thing when they go into the different type of guard houses, it's almost it's delivered matter of factly, sardonically, comically. And and almost like everything works in this film. I I, honestly, I think it all like for me, I I think that that tone is so interesting. And then all pretenses drop. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if it's tempering it or if I'm just searching for things to be comforted by in it. And it's like, oh, if I'm if I'm concerned about or interested in what the tone of this film is, I'm not thinking about the content. And then when the tone goes away and it's just footage and it's just presenting fact, it, it's it's all the more effective for being free of that tone and then of that score when it does tone down later in it.
2: I, I also feel like, you know, with that that whole vibe that they were doing, I feel like if we were making a film like that today a lot of the conversation would be look how many jobs we created by all these buildings we built. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's a big part of what they're kind of getting at that by talking about the different architecture, like, like someone sat down and had to put pencil to paper and design this and say, Oh yeah, let's do this style. It's like, like that they were caring about style. Like, I feel like it is kind of, it is meant to be a jab at at them being like, this wasn't, looked at to them as like, all right, we're we're horrible people and we're making these horrible prisons for people who haven't done anything wrong. they the like, not oh, it'd be nice if it had a nice roof on it. Let's right. let's put yeah. a nice it roof sold on the as something worth doing and worth doing well for yeah. the betterment of the, the society or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, like now that we're talking about that, I forgot that I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. I think what, what turns it around too is and I didn't write down the actual quote, but when they talk about like, Oh, little Susie is off at school and so-and-so is doing this. Yes. Meanwhile, these buildings are being built that they are going to be, in, and these people you know, are just no like, yeah, the buildings are yeah, already yeah.
0: just missing. It's like yep.
2: this fate is creeping up on them, you know? And it's like, it's yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Chilling. That's it's the perfect horrible. word. Where it was just like,
0: yeah please fall back on hyperbole for this because it's it's kind of not hyperbole this time around
1: it's very real yeah did, did you want to talk about the museum i Tim, oh, you, probably, you haven't gone either have you you haven't gone to the i've not gone now okay yeah because I, I i i'd be interested to hear your first impressions of of that and how yeah sure yeah i can do that now
3: um yeah, I, I mean, I think there were a few things. Like I said, there's some similarities and some differences here, uh, in terms of how personal it feels and in terms of how close to everything you feel. Um, I'm trying to remember from the museum, but I mean, I think watching, you know, watching this film on my screen at home, uh, and seeing the close up images of, of, the dead and, and of the bodies and everything, especially, I mean, the pyre scene and then the scene after that with, um, you know, with the bodies getting pushed around, uh, by the machinery. I, I think, you know, I, I think that's hard to top in terms of like how close you, you can feel to it.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, but I did, there were several times where I was remember, brought to remember the museum, um, because of the personal feeling. And I think one of those, so there's a few scenes in the film where they show, Um, piles of people's belongings and so the museum in dc has on loan from poland a pile of like thousands of shoes that belong to to the victims and um, you go in the room and it smells like rubber and like shoes and that smell sticks with you and looking at the shoes sticks with you because you can see you know shoes that belong to all different ages and and um types of people right And, and um shoes that that don't look that they like they belong in a camp or like as you would imagine it right like there's a lot of women's dress shoes and and, um men's everyday shoes not like they're not all uniform camp shoes right or things that you would imagine like at a prison where everybody gets the same thing like they're all different because the people that wore them there didn't think that that's you know what their fate was going to be right so so that was pretty jarring and, and kind of ran parallel to the film, just the, the belongings and um, the things that these people left behind and, and being able to walk into a room and see these physical things that belong to people um, does help you or does make you feel that connection even more. Um, I think another few examples from the museum, and Joel jumped in too, if you remember some, um, but when you first walk in, they give you a, or when you get your ticket and you go in, Um they give you a card with an, a person's name and story and background on it. Um, one of the victims. And so you read about them first and you go in and you experience it. And um, you know, you're thinking of that person in their life as you go through and look at all these exhibits and, and look at the history. Uh, and that, you know, is something that feels more personal than this film did, right? Talking about what each brought that made you feel more connected to it. I think that part of the museum, having that personal name and, story to put to it um made the museum feel more personal and then the other one i remember from the museum is the um i think they have a train car that you go in and and stand in um oh and then the the elevator so when you get the card the next thing you do is you walk on the elevator and they shove so many people into that elevator very intentionally and they give you a little talk um you know, about what you're about to experience and things like that. And just being in close quarters in such a tight space, both in the elevator and in that train car that they have there, um, you know, again, are just things that, I mean, put you in that time and place in some ways. Um, yeah. What did you, what were your main things that have stuck with you, Joel?
1: Mainly the same things. Um, I, I, I debated whether to bring up the elevator because I, I would encourage anybody who hasn't gone to go at least once. Um, there are certain things that, about it that are you can't really feel anywhere else. This film is close, but it's, it's, there, there is still a distance. Um, when we got in the elevator, I noticed before they said anything that it was painted and it was meant to look like gas chambers. And I realized that in the, like, kind of, oh, no moment of the elevator shutting. And that that set the tone for the whole experience. So it, it was very, like, almost instantly numb. Like, I mean, eighth grade, like, it, it's, it, I feel like sometimes we, we're shown these things or we read things that are really impactful and traumatic and stuff that we need more more of our synapses to come together to deal with, to be able to process, to actually know what we're feeling about. Um, I'm glad that I got to see it, but I now feel like I won't ever see it again. And I almost would have liked to see it as more experienced um, and more, I don't, I don't know, but I it, it didn't lessen the impact any. Um, I don't know it the shoot, like like I had written this down that when they show the the photos and the footage of the shoes and i think when i went to the exhibit or to the museum they had a pile of hair and that is probably other than the the elevator that was the very that that stuck out so much to me that just it, i mean hair is it, it, it's dead right like cell wise hair is dead and it was just this huge monument <laughs> pyre, uh just it, it just it hammered it home so so strongly and then this they have was very thing. personal too yeah it's different it's, styles different routines the textures mm-hmm. the like and it showed the, the the diversity the wide field of these people like that that it, it, it <sighs> and i i don't know if this was true in 1955
0: but i i've seen shoes not Obviously not as many in such a place, but, you know, I mean, even in school, right? Y'all go to do something in gym class and y'all you take your shoes off and y'all pile them together, right? Or in the locker rooms at a swimming pool, every cubby hole has a pair of glasses in it or yeah. whatever. You know, other of things that we wear are, it, weird, as weird as it is to say, they're discardable, you know? Right. But your hair is so much a part of the person. The only time I've ever seen hair off is in a barber shop. It's not for very long. It's not very much fit and it's very careful and very on purpose and they clean all of it up. Right.
1: That's not you something know? that's stored away or, mm-hmm. or warehoused or c- accumulated in such mass quantities. It just, yeah, that's the thing and about the shot. shoes, like what you were saying about the pool or in gym class, even, even with everybody in my high school, the stack would be so minuscule in, in comparison. Mm-hmm. And just those, those images are very important to establishing the scale. Yeah. I was reminded
0: bizarrely of another film we watched of Citizen Kane, actually. Yeah. You get uh, the piles, but then the shot of the hair, the camera just pans up yeah. and up it just and just keeps going. I, and again... there's more of it. Yeah. I had the sense of scale of standing at the bottom of a great, you know, geological formation almost and the set of citizen kane of the the empty castle has the same effect with all the piles Mm -hmm. but that was of course you know set builders you know a couple dozen guys working for a few days to pile a bunch of crap up and it's such a you know i mean it's hollywood right so it's it's constructed place so to see that same
1: pping looming right that effect. same
0: feeling from something not done on purpose well, i no not on purpose but but you know what I mean, just from the,
1: the it was constant, an ad, a byproduct accidental end, thank you
0: the byproduct end result of something else, and then like you said, hair is not doesn't take up a lot of space, you know
1: it it's yeah, that was a shot. And I, again like i we we we're we're not using the the, the terminology favorite scene because it 's impossible to to put yes. talk about this film in, in that context, <laughs> but there are film things that are done in this that I was really impressed by mm-hmm. and um the they really hold the meeting well they 're very pointed and respectful and yeah the the yeah. shot of the train with the fog mm-hmm. the or the smoke
0: the titular night and fog
1: yeah. i why do trains look so goddamn good on film like I, why is that i don't understand it it's so like and we people talk about like trains crashing is the most compelling you can't look away from right. it because it's so it, dynamic race. and it so it, it's just i saw that shot and it was so well comp- composed and that that's archival footage i don't know what nazi was holding the camera for that shot i mean the nazis were very
0: interested in their record keeping and in their propaganda
1: so yeah. I, I don't so know it was that constantly like, from, but, but. It, it, uh, that was so sinister and so cinematic also and that's the other thing it was really hard to look at like i watch films to be entertained Right, like, or or be informed, or to elicit these responses, but usually what I'm watching is something that's crafted in a way, and the footage was all shot by or shot by somebody who's trying to make a film. Right, there's a certain this stuff was documentation. It wasn't cinematic, but the way it's cut together and juxtaposed with what the filmmaker did. Which was really competent filmmaking and very deliberate and slow and measured and great pacing. Um, it, it was. I, I was experiencing this because when we when we watch these things, I'm looking for camera angles. I'm looking for the the language of the film because I'm I'm fascinated that's, by that's that. Where our
0: interests lie, yeah, That's
1: right? Part of why we do the podcast, but certain. with this, the effectiveness of the shots is it didn't matter what the composition was it didn't matter how it was moved over but there are some of those things that are just it's almost as if they were shot to be in a movie but it's real all of that like it it's just the the, the real and that's the thing like that's the power of film to 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 accurately portray something in black and white the pun intended that that like this is what actually happened this is actual footage this event took place this was not staged this was not performance it, it, it was a really sorry i'm kind of gabbling but it, it was a hard thing to to wrestle with as a in someone who enjoys film and was looking for things to talk about and also like kind of admiring the craftsmanship of the 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 I hesitate to call I wouldn't call it artwork. It was documentation. It was archival work. It was truth document making. That's not a right word, but like it just to use the tool of film for this end really kind of put me in a quandary about like the power of film. Are we using it effectively? Should it be as frivolously used as we do use it? I mean, chopping mall <laughs> night and fog, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it it, it, it. it just made me kind of more introspective about my kind of wild consumption of this form, and kind of the the, the significance of it, the power of it. Not that I'm going to stop watching anything schlocky or anything, but it just it it really sure. went a lot of way. I mean, it was in the context of me watching it. I mean, we're in the middle of October right now. I'm doing 31 days of horror. I watched this. And I was planning to watch a horror movie after it. And I was like, that, That it was like the cognitive yeah. dissonance and to try try and revel in, in a, a um, sensationalized portrayal of of evil or of gore or of murder was just, it seemed really distasteful. And it, it like, it just, it reframed some things. So, sorry, I just...
0: Well, like the... Architecture, again, they little yeah
1: little, the film's joke, I guess, about
0: the architectural styles, right? There are undoubtedly the people who designed those buildings put thought and care into them up to a point. So it's, you know, our, our preferred medium is film. So it's upsetting not putting to see that thought and care yeah. put into such evil acts. I'll pivot a little bit, if that's all right. Since I see everyone's faces Give it away. getting <laughs> even more dour. Well first, just to, to sort of finish up with Night and Fog specifically, they ran into a little bit of um, I guess I'll say censorship trouble with the let me see, who was it specifically? Um
1: it's it just says French censors.
0: Right. Well well, yeah it was it was two things um it was the bodies being bulldozed into mass graves at the end they wanted that cut some of them some of the censors, and then there's one one shot which is a uh i think it's just a transit camp but the the guard is actually french they're a part of the Vichy government the puppet state that the germans set up and there's a distinctive hat you know like the the French Guards war, um, and they wanted that shot out because the government, you know, didn't exactly want
1: reminders of collaboration right there on the They, they were like, "This, this is not about us." Like that—that that was the like, "Oh, we that—that's really interesting." And
0: the film remains kind of ambiguous on that front for ninety percent of it. But yeah, they didn't want that specific mention, so they ended up with a compromise where they uh, painted in a fake. Like support beam for the guard tower he's on that blocks out the guy's hat, oh, <laughs> of all things, and they were allowed to keep that shot in, and then also keep the mask but uh, Eventually, they won that fight, um, and apparently, otherwise, that's that's it. There was no censorship done to the film, no big debates. That's what Wikipedia has. That tallies with my own notes from my class that I have in front of me here. So, I think. I feel pretty confident in saying that. But again, I'm not a historian. Um, don't go make public policy based on my podcast statements, please, people. Um, so again, that's,
1: yeah, please. Just a, another concept that this film made me think about that I hadn't like the contractors and, and, and kind of the construction of the camps was the discovery of the camps by soldiers and the I mean we saw the way burial if you could call it that there's no I mean it, it's so because there callous. were just so many it just the the amount and the the idea that so I mean soldiers coming at like tail end of World War II seeing what they saw and experiencing what they experienced to then have to 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 care for The dead, in in just there's no there was no way to do it it, it, reverently. There was no way to do it efficiently without continue to spread disease or or like it it just right new dangers. The huge the huge colossal nature of that task and the psychological impact of I mean they show like soldiers going in carrying bodies out. Mm Like I just, I mean, war is hell without that. Yeah, and it and just when... like I I can't. That that was yeah. something I didn't really. Well, I'm really glad you brought
0: before. that up specifically because we have a great, uh, I guess we'll call it Hollywood counterpart, you know, A and B comparison of Episode Nine of Vander Brothers, mm. when they discover a camp, which I think was a labor camp, in that case, and it's. You know, it's done well. It's done respectfully. It's horrifying. It's less horrifying than this, I would say. But, you know, it's it's Hollywood. Right? It's actors, so it was staged for dramatic effect. Um, I just like that we have that comparison. You know, in Band of Brothers, we're focused on a few of the soldiers from the company. They they pick a few each episode to focus on. They frame it with the, the uh, mass German surrender that the soldiers walk by. So one of the characters was focused on for the episode looks at a huge number of surrendered soldiers and just as uh, the actual line is, why did you bring us all the way here? Like, what What the hell? If they were just going to surrender, what was the point? You know, because the film wants to specifically set up that the point is, no, all yeah. right. So then they find the camps later and revisit that soldier later. But it's it's neat to have these two polar opposite portrayals, right? One... You know, real, obviously, the Band of Player stuff is is based on what actually happened, right? But it's semi-fictional, right? It's, right. it's fictionalized is the term maybe right. I want, right? Whereas the stock footage we get from Night and Fog is not. It's just completely as it was. And it's, right. I don't really have the right word, but it's, it, I guess, interesting, right? To have those two portrayals
1: and put them next to each other. Scott, this brings up an interesting point that Tina had brought up. That Mm -hmm. she didn't watch it with me, but we were talking about it, and I, I I have a theory about why why you are a I wouldn't call amateur amateur historian, but fascinated with research in in enjoy the the pursuit of knowledge about World War II, and I I think I know where it stems from, but I'd like to hear you say what why where that fascination comes from. I
0: not exactly sure i mean i when you're a kid world war ii is kind of cool because well war is kind of cool in general <laughs> when you're a kid and it's nothing more than imagination right you yeah. know and then world war ii especially was a huge it's it's hugely central to our popular culture uh to heroes and villains to good guys and bad guys and so all of those yep. yeah so all of those things come together so that it's very present all the time and then i just i I don't know i mean i I don't know if it's more available to children from a historical sense too right i have i have two copies of the same book one of which is specifically cleaned up for children to read right with the graphic depictions of the cussing taken away basically i so i don't know if the topic was then more accessible or if it's just already been done to death in everything so when i saw it and went this is neat i just never ran out of material and never looked elsewhere um one of my grandfathers was involved in the war, although not in Burma, which is going to be a surprise to some listeners. I know they're going to say there was war in Burma? Yep. Um, the Forgotten Theater and all that. So I, I don't know. I just, it was sort of always there. And, you know, there was always more to read and more to learn and more to understand. And then it helped that it was a popular topic and as weird as to say, a cool topic, you know, a trendy topic. So we reached, you know, we reached the point where I was no longer in it for the cool factor, right? Like I, I would watch, um, you know, Pearl Harbor, right, the big Michael Bay film, and then go read about my my children's cleaned-up book about American volunteers at the Battle of Britain, right? And that's like, and think about the bits from the film of the Battle of Britain when the one American character goes and volunteers and go, oh, look, I here's my visual and here's the real history. This is cool, but I, you know. At a certain point I just was growing up and became more interested in it as a serious topic and it was already one I knew about, so it was great to keep going deeper and deeper yeah I, I
1: don't know I don't know that I have a snazzy answer for you it is really fascinating because like i I kind of bogged at the idea that like when your little war is cool, but I think in America we definitely think that or we we project that exactly. I, I remember thinking like in in school, like we would learn about stuff, and every it seemed like everybody my age, like had a war that they enjoyed learning about. Mm-hmm. For me, it was always a revolutionary one, and for some reason, I was fascinated with that and like the founding fathers and the involvement in the movements and that stuff. So like, there is something to the fascination of it, mm-hmm. which I didn't every, I haven't really thought war. about in a long time. Every
0: war, because you know, we're two really really good guys, right? I mean, come on, the Nazis are. The fucking Nazis—they're the poster child then, right? The Japanese too. Um, it was big in scale. It was global. We have all these movies, but even like Vietnam, which is we are not necessarily not at all the good guys, no, really. And it has that—the opposite has a sort of edgy sort of right. And
1: that—that's the—that's the, that's the fringe war, coolness that yeah. film made cool. In mm. quotes, I don't know if that's that's right to say. But like the the film language that was developing when we started to comment on the war in Vietnam was very much a a, a shift, mm-hmm. and I I mean I think in America I mean because we're participants in and complicit in so many wars that it because we make the movie factory right like we we just comment on it. and that's part of it I we had Hollywood which was right.
0: the world center of movies. Really, still is in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. for so long, and then we had, when World War Two, especially, we had this huge war that almost everybody in the country participated in in some capacity. And we, and was, film we was used
1: very specifically.
0: Film was used very well, and then we won, and we were the good guys. So, boom! You know, it was something everyone could relate to. Everyone already knew about. It was ripe for, for exploitation and for use.
1: Yeah. My my theory for for your fascination was your grandfather that connection, um, which I, I I feel I don't know like maybe that's just like a, I
3: mean that's my dad was a marine
1: time, yeah. like that definitely impacted my view of the military and our interact and patriotism and nationalism and like I've spent a lot of time kind of like trying to mm-hmm. pull myself no, out of I- army branch territory but like it, it's mm-hmm. it's marine brad i was in that see that i have that ego like, right that ego right you about have phrase it, it this is your the head. branch that's not the branch that's a later so. thing
0: you know i he died when i was an infant the grandfather in question and he never really spoke about the war at all even when he was alive according to my mom so i just it was oh yeah you know he was in the army my other grandpa was in the navy i think during korea but he wasn't involved but i just basic you know when my parents would tell me about family, yeah, here you know, get all the photo album and go. Here was so and so, they did this. Here was so and so, they did this. You know, here was your grandpa Jack. He was in the army during World War Two, and then he was a welder. And uh, you know, I uh, trying to think of something specific. Right? And he used to send me down to the corner store to buy his cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Mom would say, right? And, I didn't, and so it just—it was something I knew, but I don't. Uh, maybe, I, maybe that was the first thing was i thought "Ooh, i want to learn about his war but again i i knew barely anything and i didn't even start learning about burma where he fought until this year i got a book about it that just fell by the way because you know the focus is elsewhere
1: Gosh. Gotcha. i i don't know like i don't know if it's just i grew up without one of my grandfathers and then i had like a connection with the one but who just recently passed but like I I would always like, I don't know if I'm just projecting. It's like when I would find out anything about my grandfather, even though I like he was abusive and an alcoholic and, uh, but like my, he he was super charismatic. Like there's this mysterious nature about like how my dad talks about him and like the, the kind of the mystique of the man and not ever having really met, like he died when I was in my infancy. So he met me, but I didn't process him, but like he was in the teamsters. He drove truck. He met Jimmy Hoffa's right-hand man, like he, he was a big. Like I, I have his teamster wow. Jackson, still. So, like I, when, when you had told me that, I, I guess I projected onto you like my fascination with my grandfather and like that. But connection, that's not unreasonable because yeah. for the past several years, I've been, I've been that right. way with mine. So I see where you were coming from. Um, Sorry, this has become the Joel and Scott show. Do no. we need to throw it out to Zeke? Tim, do you have anything to add? Um, or or things that you guys took notes on? Actually, yeah. What about your understanding of the Holocaust as it fits into the war? And what about your
0: experiences with the war growing up? You know, we, Joel and I said, it's such a cultural touchstone in this country. What is your experience with it?
2: Um, One of my grandfathers was also in World War II. um, So that was kind of probably the main personal connection. But also, yeah, he he didn't talk about it much. Um, I mean, you know, probably mostly because we were kids, you know, and I feel like as, as we got older, I think there was a while ago, my mother had made a video where they, you know, they were basically interviewing my grandfather about the war and kind of letting him talk about stuff to have for posterity. Um, which I, now that I think of it, I should have watched that in preparation for this, but it totally slipped my mind. But, um, yeah, and it was, you know, it was something I think, uh, like a while ago, he had gotten in our town, he had gotten an award for being like, you know, one of the the remaining vets from World War II, you know, and it was this big ceremony and it was great. And, You know, he was very proud of it. Um, and I heard, I almost don't want to talk too much about this because I heard it like secondhand from, I think it was my sisters were telling me that they had been visiting my grandfather recently uh, before he passed. And he was talking about World War II. And apparently, I think, don't quote me on this because again, I'm hearing this from them his his troop had like found like i guess like freed saved or whatever some concentration camp where there were a bunch of like kids there and everything and it was like super hard for him because it was just like you know it was it was a great thing like they were able to rescue them but it was just like fuck man here are all these kids that were just ready to be like murdered and guessed and whatever you know and um which i can see where it's like yeah i can see why you're not like yeah hey let's talk about world war Two every day you know if you had to to live it you know and he um you know i I never really saw visual signs of him be, having been traumatized but, by but I'm sure everybody who was in the war was traumatized to some degree, whether, you know, what level they acknowledge it. Um So that was kind of, you know, it on, on a personal level for me is, yeah. Kind of just knowing that he had been in world war two and, you know, and it's like, I feel like that was the war. If you were going to be in a war, to be an American soldier in World, World War Two, like, yes, you were definitely the hero. You know, it's not like Vietnam, like you said, where it's like, and even though, yeah, it's unfair to kind of call the soldiers who were drafted into Vietnam, be like, oh, fuck you, you shouldn't be, you know, I know that was one of the issues is that there was a lot of hate thrown towards the soldiers. And it's sure. like, hey, I got drafted. Sure, the, I didn't want to. The reality is war. much more complicated. But yeah. in, in World um, War Two, at but,
0: least, yeah, there's there's really no ambiguity
2: about.
4: Yeah, the, Right, it's the, like, you the were the a cult. hero. You were,
2: yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was, you know, that was kind of, you know, oh, this this sort of nice uh this great aura that my grandfather always had about him, like knowing, oh yeah, he was a war hero, he was in World War II. And I never knew the extent of it. Um I mean, I think part of it too is like, I mean, I didn't you know, I think there was a curiosity to a degree, like but like, I don't know, I feel like if I if I had been in a war, I wouldn't want people asking me to talk about it. So I, I never really kind of asked him about it because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what his, what his relationship was to that, you know, and again, I, I know he was proud to be a, a, a veteran because it was, you know, that aspect of it, but like, Oh, tell me some stories. You know, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to make him get, you know, we're trying to have Christmas. I don't want to be like, Hey, grandpa, tell me about this, you know? Um, But yeah, so I, I, yeah. I, and again, now that I think of it, I should, you know, maybe talk to my sisters more and be like, Hey, like, I want to hear more about that story. You know, now that it's like, um, again, I probably should have been more, you know, and that was part of it too. Like, well, I guess a little side note. So my, my grandfather did pass recently. Um, and basically he found out he had uh, bowel cancer, colon cancer during COVID and, you know, I basically never got to go see him again. Um, and, uh, but I did try to talk to him as much as I could, like once a week, but again, like, I'm not going to bring that up. It's like, Oh, while you're, you know, while you have, you know, colon cancer, why don't you tell me about the war? You know? So I don't know. Part of me is like, I, I should have asked him about it while I had the chance, but part of me is like, I, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't like a need for me to kind of be like, Oh, open up about this thing that you did, you know? And again, like I said, I knew he was proud that he had been in the war and, and, you know, that was great. I was proud of him for that, but um, yeah, you know, there is, there is part of me that now kind of like, maybe I do want some, some details, but it's also like, I don't know, I guess not necessary. Cause that wasn't a core part of my relationship to him. You know, like he was just my grandpa, me, you know, and, and no, he also happened to be, uh, you know, World War II, you know, that was kind of a, an afterthought, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, also, you know, you think about things too, where it's just like you know, good thing my grandfather came home from the war. Like, he could have died over there, and I, you know, my whole family never would have been here, you know, like, you know, because he was obviously, you know, went there when he was young. I think, you know, um, I um, I know he was with my grandmother like, when he was there, but I don't know if they had been married yet, and I don't think they, yeah, they probably didn't have, no, they didn't have any kids yet, because so I know my mom was bor- born in, like, 54, so yeah, so I don't think my aunts and uncles are old enough to have been born, like, before he went out to war, so yeah, so so, but, but he and my grandmother were together while he was away. So, you know, it's one of those, uh, you know, that, that, that getting that sort of side of the, the, the soldier, you know, the, like, oh man, like the whole, like I'll be home for Christmas thing, you know, while he was away at war. And, uh, so, so yeah, so it's like, you know, you, and it makes you wonder like how many other entire families don't exist now because, you know, their great, what would have been their grandpa died during world war Two, And then that's it done, you know? So yeah, that spiraled kind of (laughs) wildly, but yeah. So that's my, that's that's my personal relationship to world war two, you know? And and again, like, I think it's because I didn't, it wasn't a core part of my relationship with my grandfather. It was just like, he was my grandpa and that's, that's why, you know, I, I was close to him Uh, and it was just kind of
3: there. So I never, I
2: never dug deeper, you know, but
0: yeah. What about you, Zeke?
3: Yeah, I mean, very similarly to you all, my grandpa was in uh, World War II, and, and so was my, I mean, other great uncles uh, that I didn't met, but then one that I did meet and was pretty close to. Um, my grandpa had passed before I was born, but I was pretty close to my uh grandma's brother. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, like you said, thinking about war being cool for kids, I think one of the things I really connected um with, with my great uncle about was, um, the planes, right. And, and kind of the machine and that's cool to a kid. Um, and I remember when I was in middle school and took wood shop, I made a, like a, like a case, like a wooden case with a cut out of a B 52, I think. Um, and, and gave that to him at some point. So I don't know, like you get that kind of cool connection and it's a very sterile and calmed down version of the war that i think you get as a kid right it's um scott like you said it's all kind of just pretend right and there's no real stakes to it and it's just Mm -hmm. pains and things like that um it's history and it's over it doesn't you don't grasp it yeah exactly yeah and so i think that connection um i was also going to ask i think one connection to world war ii that really sticks out to me uh from a pop culture side is i had um it was like a VHS tape of like the hundred and one, was like hundred and one best cartoons or whatever, and like several of them were very like propaganda ish and like there's one where Daffy Duck hits Hitler with a hammer, <laughs> and like I remember that a lot. Yeah. There's several more on there, so I don't know. There's that War-tired
0: weird propaganda, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That yeah, and it's weird like that that was on it because you know it had cartoon spanning a whole bunch of years but it was like classic cartoons volume one whatever it was right And i remember watching that on repeat and it's weird the things that you take in as a kid um right whether that's a family member talking to you about the planes and you're like oh cool war is fine or daffy duck confronting hitler like i don't know yeah and i know we were going to get into propaganda a bit um at some point during this conversation but i think propaganda was one of my connections to world war ii which is interesting Mm
0: -hmm. yeah thank you um let's use that to pivot into the film list from the class i took sort of step more firmly into cinema as a topic 22 films we watched for this class actually 23 because one came out while we were taking the class and we went and saw a screen of it at a local uh, jewish community center which was super cool actually super awkward but well We'll get to the end of that. Um, So Night and Fog was the first, 1955, that we started. That was our starting point. It's why I chose it as a starting point for you all. This conversation is going exactly as I was hoping. Um,
1: You monster. Especially, I mean, you're welcome,
0: slash I'm sorry. But I also, you know, that's sort of the point is before we dove into the fiction people had made and the semi-fiction, we wanted to start with what was real, right? Next thing we did was the Diary of Anne Frank, 1959, which actually I think is a filmed version of the play script that was written from the diary, or maybe vice versa. Maybe the play was written second. But I, I didn't know they had done a film. Oh, yeah. I, we talked about that in middle school, actually. Um,
1: we read, took turns of reading parts of it out of our textbook.
0: Maybe know, I characters. do,
1: actually. Maybe we watched it. Because now I'm thinking like very specific like, characterizations of, of the, the people in that book. Now, maybe I saw a play of it, so yeah, but
0: right. didn't so know there was we, a film that was next, And it's also, of course, pretty real. I mean, the
1: diary yeah. is, of course, a
0: real thing. Right. But it's just was—it's so different in tone, you know? <laughs> then we did Judgment at Nuremberg, 1960 American film about the Nuremberg trials, which were the big war crimes trials put on after the war, where all of the not surviving Nazi high command and various officers were put on trial. And it's, it's a courtroom drama. It is a thousand percent a *To Kill a Mockingbird* feeling courtroom drama, um, and again, it's—it's it's not. There wasn't anything that struck me as particularly disrespectful. You know, it wasn't. We haven't fallen into schlock yet, or anything like that. But, um, but just God, what a weird turn that was to suddenly just be. Oh yeah, this is a this is a movie I've seen this sort of thing. But, yeah, To Angry Men*, *Kill a Mockingbird*. Oh yeah, oh it was it was familiar and really off-putting in that regard. I'm just going to run through some titles next. Stop me if y'all have anything about them. Otherwise, I'll circle back. Capo, The Pawnbroker, Seven Beauties, Garden of the Finzi Continis, Shoah, which we will talk about, Schindler's List, which is the big famous one, right? The Nasty Girl, Life is Beautiful, Jacob the Liar, The Pianist, In Darkness, Amen, The Counterfeiters, The Unknown Soldier, Sophie Scholl, Weapons of the Spirit, Sarah's Key, the book thief and then the new the one that came out when we were studying is apparently called persona non grata it's actually a japanese film i i just that's the english title um obviously i'm sure if just ring some
2: bells do any of the others bring up anything for you
0: that's in darkness
2: is. is that is the in darkness is that the the one with natalie dormer or is that a different in darkness
0: let me take a look i i don't know i've been probably not but it's worth checking um in Darkness so, 2018, Blind Musician, Natalie Dormer. Is that the one
2: with her? Yeah, because I mean, was not the one I'm Okay, thinking. then. because it was a whole thing with her past. That I saw it a while ago, so I didn't know if that was... Sort of uh, no, it's so a different film. Yeah, this into. one is from 2011.
0: Okay. It's a Polish film. Okay. And in Darkness, sense, because they're <laughs>
1: hiding in the sewers. So okay. the whole film is they're down there in the darkness all the time. These are all...
0: particularly excellent.
1: All sp- specific to... Holocaust portrayals. So, gotcha.
0: Yes. That's why we don't have, you know, Band of Brothers, right, on here, because the Holocaust comes up in that, but it's
1: not about that. It's about the one company, right? Um, And Defiance came after 2011, which is the Daniel Craig film. Oh,
0: I forgot about that completely. That was 2008, apparently. Oh,
1: okay. Just not on our list. I guess that was not so much constant. Traded on it was a a uh, A resistance film, a resistance film, and a a um, a, a, uh, Mm -hmm. beat the retreat kind of film.
0: Sure, you know we talked about these films come from all different countries and all different places, and especially with Night and Fog, right? The French were not happy about the potential collaborationist reveal of the the policeman's hat. But a lot of these films do the same thing in their home countries. You know, Uh, In Darkness is Polish in all of the occupied territories there was a lot of collaboration including poland france what is now ukraine all over to be clear there was also a lot of resistance it was not universal but we talked about how depending on the country who made the film the portrayals of the various nationalities in the film shift dramatically well sometimes dramatically sometimes not uh you know schindler's list was part of our conversation about a trend in the the direction of the 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 clean, the myth of the clean Wehrmacht, Wehrmacht the name of the German army at the time the myth of the clean Wehrmacht being the myth, falsehood that the general army and general population were not involved directly with Nazism that they were just, were fighting our war because Germany's great, oh yeah, we had no idea about about what was going on that that is not true by the way a lot of that comes up. It comes up a lot. It comes up in popular culture, and it still comes up an uncomfortable amount in historical study. I think *The Unknown Soldier* (2006) was a docu- Unless I'm mixing it up with a different film on the list, was a documentary about an exhibit in Germany about the German army's complicit complicity in the Holocaust. Their willing participation, and it was a. It was a big deal. There were protests. There was a lot of, yeah, people were not happy about it. So the film we watched, I'm pretty sure it was The Unknown Soldier, was about that exhibit and the the anger it brought up. Uh, similarly, The Nasty Girl is about a girl who does a project, a school project, to determine what the people in her village were doing during the war. And her town almost immediately kind of turns on her because they feel this great collective guilt over the things they did and she's digging up these secrets that they're not talking about.
3: That one sounds good.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, one's, yeah. that one's another very difficult to watch film. I, yeah. Not that any of these are necessarily going to be easy to watch, mm-hmm. but, you know, Desmond at Nuremberg, as weird as it is to say, it's kind of lighthearted. Again, it's, it's a 1960 American courtroom drama, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very a little, you, 12 Angry yeah. Men in the sense of, like, the subject is heavy, but the thing is handled like a story, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. Jacob the Liar is comedy. We talked, we watched that in Life is Beautiful to talk about comedy. Life is Beautiful being the really good film. Jacob the Liar being not. It has Robin Williams in it, actually. And it's, it's a remake of a foreign film. I've heard the original is better, but I haven't seen it. I haven't found a way to watch it. You know, we talked about how tastefully or not the subject is handled, right? So there's a lot here. Um,
3: let me go back to my, main notes yeah book thief uh, Please. that rang a bell um, but more so the the, the novel uh, mm-hmm. than, than yeah. the movie but yeah how was how that one
0: That's pretty good I read the book first thoroughly enjoyed it the movie's a pretty good adaptation it's of course they have to cut some stuff out because the film mm-hmm. has to be shorter yeah. but in that regard it was handled pretty well Okay, uh, I'll have to, yeah, it's,
3: it's, I'll have it's to give a that a watch. read and a, and a watch yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, we that one and the one called Sarah's Key. We were told to watch one or the other, so mm-hmm. I watched the Book Thief. So I actually can't tell you about Sarah's Key. I've talked about Life Is Beautiful before, the Italian comedy.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, some of you, it, um, it's hilarious, it's amazing, it's it's um, it's you, know, you will laugh a lot, you will laugh until you cry, and then you will cry until you cry, and then it it. It never stops. It, it's this incredible. In Leonard Falk we talked about the societies that formed within the various facilities and the bartering systems, and how people would carve dolls and you know give their food to each other. Mm-hmm. Life is beautiful. Is this crazy soaring examination of that right of the the resilience of the human spirit in the face of all that is happening? And it's uh this. I watched Life is Beautiful in my film class, actually, just about film elements, right? Where every week we did, you know, editing, lighting, cinematography, sound, right? We watched a different movie every week to focus on different aspects of cinema. And Her Life is Beautiful, I think we were talking editing, question mark. Um, but then when it came back up on this class list, I just, I didn't watch it again. I couldn't. I was like, nope, it has not been long enough. So it's great. It's hilarious. It's well worth a look it's going to kill you um, just as much as this. <laughs> where else have you seen the Holocaust in, in popular culture? You know, I mean, Chenna's list, obviously. Yeah. But where else has it come up, do you know?
3: Um, shoot, what was the, um, the the recent one, the Taika Waititi one? Oh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, right. Jojo Rabbit. Uh huh. That's a good recent example of one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which i don't know i yeah i i mean yeah i'm trying to figure out how to place that on what we've talked about like with the holocaust itself being a focus. Right. and glorious bastards mm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. certainly i eventually want to pivot to the japanese film because it's so out there but you know i want to make sure we've we finished with the central stuff for a bit so um it was still, we we're talking about the full film list, the class. And uh, where else have you seen the Holocaust in in popular culture? Right, uh, in Masters*, *Jojo Rabbit* who we just mentioned. Right, what else have you seen? Anything come to
1: mind? Um, I don't know that I've consumed that much media. I mean, I read *Boy with the Striped Pajamas*. Right, mm-hmm. um, the *Diary of Anne Frank*. We talked about sure.
0: Um, the book thief was one that came up, which was like I was at the right age for that. Right mm-hmm. when it came out, it was targeted at that you know, high school age, so that fell right into my lap. Uh, You know, Schindler's List and The Pianist were big Oscar winners in this country.
1: I I haven't seen either of those. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I, the, uh, I guess my experience is more with World War II rather than anything specific to the Holocaust. So, like, Atonement. And um, yet,
0: how little does it come up? Right? Yeah. Atonement, I mean, sometimes, like, Dunkirk or, or Midway, Right. it's just not particularly relevant, but how many, how much of War II media have you seen? Film, television, how many books have you read? And how many of those has the Holocaust come up in,
1: right? Right. And and what Zeke was saying, too, about, like, the proliferation in, like, comics and and animation, like, kind of the the stereotypical stereotypical portrayal of the Japanese in those films and comics. I mean, even Disney comics were very specific... (laughs) In I mean, Disney was using them for propaganda very early, um, and it, it, it's yeah, like you said, there, there's so so much popular culture is influenced by and informed by World War II, and there's mm. dozens of references in basically every. I mean, Family Guy I think makes oh, concentration gosh. camp jokes like I think they're all they're, the time, like, and I I, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of like Mel Brooks, like the Springtime mm-hmm. for Hitler, like the producers', producers storyline. Yeah, I, I,
0: that's another good example of of the Holocaust through comedy. Yeah, which was something we mentioned in in my class list. Right, Life is Beautiful as a great, another great example, and the American version of Jacob the Liar as a not you know mm-hmm. tasteless example, right? Right.
1: Um, yeah. So it, it's it, I, I think the, the the media I've consumed is only about the war. Right. effort. There hasn't been a whole lot of that stuff. And right. even even in the comedy, like Mel Brooks doesn't joke about the Holocaust. He makes fun of Nazis. Sure. And makes yeah. them lampoonable, and these, be, like, he plays with it that way. And I, I yeah. mean, he was very important for making those jokes first, <laughs> kind of giving so everybody question a for all of you. license.
0: Is the Holocaust present in Saving
2: Private
1: Ryan? I haven't seen Saving Private Ryan all the way through.
2: Oh, so I, that's joke, a I,
1: too.
2: <laughs> I, I saw it so long ago. Fair, okay. Probably, probably not. If I had to guess, I'd say no, because I feel like you know it's more them walking through like mm-hmm. the, the the battle zones.
0: Do they land in than, France? Sure, sure. Yeah. See, can you see As far as
3: I can remember, I have seen it, but uh, yeah, it's also been a while. And my guess, so the reason I ask is,
0: is that you're entirely right, Tim. It's about these soldiers. They land on the beach. They walk through France, they fight Germans, but one of the soldiers is Jewish and he has a couple of confrontations with, with German soldiers um, you know, during the fight. And, and, but there's nothing in there that's specifically about him because it's just a firefight. It's happening, right? It's all for the audience's benefit. It's entirely for us because we're supposed to see that he's Jewish and go, oh, you know, we're right. supposed to make that recognition. The other so thing is that
1: mm-hmm. that's where part the question of, comes from, right? Does that count or not? Yeah. Sorry, please. Sorry, but part of the reason I didn't watch it when I was like younger is because my dad was like, "It frustrates me the incompetence of this leader in this movie, and I can't, I can't watch it as like because he he was a, a gunnery sergeant,
4: mm-hmm. so
1: he is similar rank to." <laughs> People making decisions and continuing to make mistakes. Yeah, and he he was very like, this is this is un, <laughs> unconscionable. Like this, I can't, yeah. in good faith, watch this. Just I so I, I think I, that's the the army brat marine brat thing going. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Because as this thing is like, hey dad, which because he would watch he watched like the Patriot with me. He'd watch like stuff about the revolutionary war so i was like i've never seen this would you watch it with me it's like i i'm not watching that movie again so
0: (laughs) he was so annoyed at you know how it related to his experience that's interesting yeah Yeah. that's another the film's another great poster child for realism and portrayal you know i'm sure you've heard some veterans had to leave the theater during the d-day landing because it was too real but if you play Saving Private Ryan next to actual video footage of landings, which we do have, it's grainy in black and white, but it's there, yeah. they are nothing alike, not even remotely close. But yeah. despite Saving Private Ryan not being real, it is realistic in yeah. the way it makes you feel sitting in the chair. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah,
0: for sure. And, and you know, also, again, relating to, to comedy as a lens for society, right? fiction about history is always a balancing act between portraying something that will grab people Mm -hmm. and is interesting and keeps them in their seat because if nobody sees it, what's the point? And between portraying what's real because what's real is often not interesting or flashy. And it's a constant balancing
1: act. But I think that's part of the decision that a lot of these films make is to focus on the war Mm -hmm. because there's a clear villain, there's a clear hero, and it there, there can be moments of triumph and despair. It's really hard to make a Holocaust film With about a of triumph about yeah. triumph and despair because it, it's so clearly, so specifically, so totally despair. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. But for for visibility's sake and the idea of like no like I there's a responsibility to like this is also part of it and that that's. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don 't like the World War II films that I've seen, but like that is oh, a good right. point. i didn 't really think about that really, mm-hmm. but there is there seems to be two two film histories mm-hmm. about the period of World War II, and one is not deliberately not talking about the Holocaust, which is mm-hmm. a choice yeah,
0: and I you know where the lie is in terms of how much to fictionalize things to keep your audience is that line is different for everybody. You know, every historian, every filmmaker. Uh, I mentioned this is the shortest film we've brought to the podcast, right? 35 minutes, 33 minutes. Well, just you wait until I bring the longest film ever to the podcast, Shela, nine and a half hours of She's interviews so cool. with Holocaust survivors. Um, I'm not going to bring that. <sighs> I, yeah, I might try to make you all watch a couple of the segments that are available online, but it's a great companion by fog because it's interviews. Mm. which, you know, is sort of a, an opposite side of the coin from stock footage, right? Mm. Two different flavors of film. Um, we didn't watch the whole nine and a half hours of my class either. We watched some excerpts. And, I mean, what else can I say? It's it's 566 minutes, according to Wikipedia, of, uh, of interviews about the whole thing, all, all the way from every aspect, right? From when Before the camps, the gas vans, you know, all the way through the the Warsaw Ghetto, the uprising, the Polish underground, the the camps themselves. I mean, yeah, all all kinds of aspects. And in Night and Fog, they mentioned that each camp has certain oddities, right? The orchestra or the oak tree or what have you. And sometimes when you had a particular skill, you were not killed and instead kept around to be made useful. And that comes up in Shoah, where one of the interviews is with a barber. Uh my my attempt at at lightheartedness is to call it the world's longest haircut. They're in his barbershop, shop and he is ostensibly cutting somebody's hair while we give the interview. Oh wow. But you know, he doesn't actually cut any hair and by the time you're like, you know at however many minutes in and the guy's hair hasn't changed and you can see the sellers aren't making contact, you're like, Okay, this was set up as a a background. I have no idea whether that was because the interview we asked for it because he was comfortable in that setting, or if it was to add drama, I don't know. But because he was a barber, he was instead made to shave the heads of, of all the people in the room before the gas chamber. And everyone who came through to be murdered, he and the other barbers cut their hair off and
1: created those piles that we saw in Night and Fog. Uh can, can, I, can I ask... I, I really hope this isn't kicking off a, a Holocaust film cycle for, for no. Scott's picks going forward. No, do I, I just...
0: This is enough. I, I'm trying to make this one episode the, no, I, the coverage, yeah. honestly. I, I it's, it's was so just
1: giving you a hard time. Obviously, pick what you want. It just no, like you're right. nine a hours a show sounds really it, it, I mean, harrowing. it might come up in, in a World War II movie at
0: some point, you right. know, but I, I'm not going to specifically go after this again, I don't think. i um, but it's, Macho is such a great companion to Night and Fog, you know, like, notwithstanding, because Night and Fog is very factual, you know, it's, it's, it's very it's quantitative. Yeah. Right. And Machoa really brings it to life in a lot of ways. Gets you, gets you in there. Okay. So one more pivot. I know I've done a lot of talking, but well, before, it, actually, before we pivot, please,
2: I thought of a, uh, um, a sort of pop culture, uh, reference. And I wasn't, I, I thought of this, I wasn't sure how to bring it up, but I'll, I'll just kind of say more on the surface. So there's, there's a, a show that I used to watch uh, Nathan for you. And, uh, and in the, in one episode of the show, uh, he's Jewish and he finds out, I think that um, like the jacket he wears, and I think it's a big name brand and I don't want to say, cause I forget what the facts are. I don't want to throw someone under the bus that it's not, the, but I think he finds out that like the, the CEO of some, winter apparel company is a holocaust tonight so and he's like i can't wear this jacket anymore it's my favorite jacket so he starts a line of clothing called summit ice and you can go it's a real company he like worked with a designer to have designs made and uh there's a thing on the website every jacket sold helps promote education about the holocaust the worst genocide in history where 10 million people including 6 million jews were massacred by the nazi regime in germany Holocaust education is essential to prevent this catastrophic episode of history from repeating itself. So as this company that, that is, you know, it's meant to sort, it was kind of a response to this, like, well, if there's some company out there selling jackets, who doesn't think the Holocaust actually happened, like I'm going to start a new company and like, yeah, so a bunch of the proceeds I think go to, I think there's a Holocaust museum in Vancouver. He's, he's from Canada. Um, so, but yeah, like you, these are real jackets. You can, you can buy them. And, um, you know, they're apparently actually really good too, like he worked with an actual designer company. It wasn't just like he threw something together um, but yeah, just to kind of show that and, and the, it was a it was a comedy show, and again, like I mean the actual comedy aspect of it, I won't try to explain it like you've, you've got to watch it, but you know again he's he's not joking about the Holocaust, but it's more him mm-hmm. kind of bringing, bringing to light this kind of journey, what kind of set him on this journey. And I think that was part of it too. Sure. It was almost a break from the, the comedic nature of the show. Cause it was like, Hey, there's something, this, this is like really important to me. Um, but he does find a way to work comedy. In, and like the way, like for, without going into detail, like the way he, when he has sets up a display in like a sporting goods store to sell his jackets, like, it's just, there's like, just like pictures everywhere of like from the Holocaust. And it's in the middle of like, a um, like an REI type store and, and they're just like, y- you can't have all this stuff here, you know, and it's like, you know, so that's kind of how he brings like, but it's cause his whole thing is like, I'm trying to bring awareness to the Holocaust, you know, to counteract this other company. Um, but yeah, you should, def- someone should look it up again. Like I, I tried looking really quick. Uh, I don't want to spend a bunch of time Googling it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you watch the episode, he says what company it is. And I think I know what yeah. it is, but I don't want to say it in case it's not them. But if, if the that's the case, you just stop buying their shit. because
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, the history of corporations in Nazi Germany is 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 hideously complicated. Um, and sorting out the willing – willing, the ones who willingly really did business from the ones who willingly really collaborated from the ones who didn't. Is is sticky, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to defend whatever company that was. I'm sure they're right. The Nathan and do stuff. I'm not an expert. Again, you're not historians. Please go look up real history. Um, but some things I do know, right? Hugo Junkers, Junkers, right? junkers aviation pioneer. You know, real genius. Between the wars, he was basically told by the Nazis, you know, you're going to do business under our terms, or else. And he said, "Go fuck yourself." So they. Put him under house arrest, and took over his company. And if you say Junkers to people, sometimes their first thought is the Stuka dive bombers the Germans used in the war. But the man himself was, you know, not a fan to put it lightly, right? But his company was nationalized and made all these tools of war, right? So in that, that's a pretty easy case of. I, I think Junkers is still around, still making aircraft, right? Of of like, yes, this company made stuff for the war, but not the company, right? That wasn't the company, right? Um, uh, Was it Coca-Cola? I don't know. One of the American beverage companies had all of their factories in Germany just taken over. The Germans just went, these are ours now. Then they just continued to make American products. Mm -hmm. That was that. So they're again, their stuff was used, but that's a pretty clear case of innocence. But then, you know, um, Porsche, Ferdinand Porsche was his first name. He made tanks. Made lots of tanks. He made armored vehicles. He made all kinds of things. Lenny made the fucking Volkswagen Beetle, right? Like, but that was he was he was right up in there. You know, he was in the office, shoulder to shoulder,
1: shaking hands, right? Yeah, he that, that was um, completely yeah. complicit, and that's diff- like, and th- this is very different from a denier after the fact.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Fuck those people. Like they like, I mean, I think Scott has a very eloquent, detailed. A response to them, but I I just say fuck them. Like I just, yeah. It's the way they gain a platform, right? Because they're becoming more nefarious.
0: You know, Mm. to to go up almost anywhere these days and say Holocaust didn't happen is to get yourself kicked out of the room you're in pretty damn quickly. So they're getting more nuanced and more clever, (laughs) you know. And they the basic step is to gain a platform, right? So, um. The quote I have is from a historical forum I participate in on Reddit called Ask Historians. I'm going to begin the quote. Another very important part of fighting Holocaust denial is to reject the notion this is a story that has two sides. This is often used to give these people a forum or to argue that they should somehow be able to present their views to the public. It is imperative not to walk into this fallacious trap. There are no two sides to one story here. There are people engaging in the serious study of history who try to find a variety of perspectives and interpretations based on facts that come from sources. And then there are Holocaust deniers who use lies, distortion, and the charge of conspiracy. These are not two sides of the conversation with equal or even slightly skewed legitimacy. This is people engaging in serious conversations and arguments versus people whose whole argument boils down to, uh, uh, um, that's, that's the end of the quote there, right? And because, like I said, all the, and, Tim, and like like we literally just watched the evidence is there unrefutable and films like night and fog are they exist for this purpose to prevent this sort of thing apparently if wikipedia is to believe again please go do your research don't this is just a neat little fact apparently since 1991 night and fog has been shown in french schools wow all it's part of the curriculum and a, a I don't know if this is... Wikipedia's got it lined up this way. In 1990, a Jewish cemetery was desecrated and a man was dug up and staked. And uh, Wikipedia seems to be implying that was part of the, the reason they now made Night and Fog part of the curriculum. I don't know. But, I mean, exactly what these filmmakers fear, that this sort of thing would be forgotten or become sort of out of the realm of possibility, you know, this, this sort of media is around on purpose. And for that reason. And I'm really glad you brought that up, Tim. <laughs> Cause it's, yeah, it's around right now. We have to be vigilant. To, to continue with the theme of awkwardness, the film that we watched that came out while I was in the class, the Japanese film, apparently translates to Persona non grata, it's the English title, is about the Imperial Japanese ambassador to, I have a Wikipedia tab, ambassador to lithuania um during the war he was appointed during 19 in in 1939 and was there until 1940 i guess those of you who don't know lithuania is in eastern europe it is present day it borders poland and ukraine if i'm reading this map correctly uh so between the important bit here is between Germany and the Soviet Union, which is, you know, a huge swath of Europe that just got absolutely absolutely ruined. And Imperial Japan, which was allied with Nazi Germany, and which did its own um, I don't know if the term genocide is on the official books, but I mean its own very similar acts in China and Korea and all over mm-hmm. Eastern Asia had this man in lithuania who basically abused his ambassadorial power to issue travel papers to six thousand jews and get them out of lithuania safety
1: damn oh boy how are we supposed
0: to feel about that right yeah i mean damn um so that's what that film is about that one's also particularly long and that's the one i went and saw screened at a local jewish community center here our denver's japanese consul to japan came and he made some remarks before the film. And, oh boy, was that an uncomfortable time. And I, maybe just me and our classmates, but, because like I just said, some of the things Japan did, Imperial Japan did during that war are, I, if you can measure such things, just as horrible as what the Nazis were doing. Um, but here's this guy from that country who believed in that country, who saved Thousands of Jews at risk to his own life. As he was at the train station, the last train out before the country was closed, he brought his little office stuff with him, and he was signing transit papers and passing them out. And he kept passing them out as the train pulled away from the station, in the film anyway. I don't know if that part was specifically true, but, but I know he did continue to sign papers in the station before he left, like right up to the 11th hour. That's
1: crazy.
0: Oh, that was... That oh. was weird, that was uncomfortable to watch again, like, like I said, the the cognitive dissonance right, both of those sides are villains in history and in all of our popular culture, so to see the one villain side portrayed as heroic against the other villain was a uh, yeah real a real fuck,
1: you could say right yeah. and I, I mean it, it, I don't want to speak in a vacuum about this, and I again not a story, mm-hmm. but the, I mean we we dropped atomic warheads on Japan, so mm-hmm. the the nobody's hands are clean in this war. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just want to have that said. I don't I don't want it to sound like I'm thinking "Star Spangled Awesome." America did everything right in in every mm-hmm. case within the the context of the war. We're responsible for our own atrocities as a result of that war, especially as it concerns the Japanese people at home and abroad, um, with the internment camps here. That, uh, we, we are not without fault in, in terms of war crimes and atrocities that we committed during World War II. I just needed to have said that because we, we talked kind of as clear good, clear bad guy in terms of how the war is discussed and how it's taught and how it's portrayed in film, but we need to also add the context of
4: mm-hmm.
1: only nuclear... <laughs> weapons launched on cities, civilians. I mean, it. We, we can't not acknowledge that as well. There's an almost farcical,
0: circular dance of politics that goes on between China and Japan and the United States to mm-hmm. this day of China says, Japan, you should issue a formal apology for your war crimes that you to China during the war. And then Japan kind of just without remarking on that, without saying, yes, we should, or no, we shouldn't. He goes, oh, man, America should really issue an apology for dropping nuclear bombs on us. So then China steps in and goes, well, no, they shouldn't, but also, yes, they should, because nuclear bombs are wrong. And it's a, it's a again, it's, it's almost funny to laugh at when you, like, watch all the, the circular logic go back and forth between them all constantly. It's not a mirthful because... laugh. It's saying it's no, throw-up-your-hands right. laugh. Like, yeah, yeah, like, just, this is bizarre, and what do you do? So that, but um, this Japanese film was very good. You should definitely see it. Yeah, for it. sure, that, that sounds really on. interesting. I'll share the film list with y'all if you'd like. Yeah, I would, I would I'd like yeah, to see it. On there. I don't know. I brought up Shaw. I think that about concludes all of my direct, particularly sad Holocaust topic. I think I've, I've run out of my talking points here. Do we want to circle back on anything? Do we want to move forward on anything? Um, do we want to pivot? into world war two movies what are y'all feeling
3: um i think one quick thing that i was going to circle back on that i forgot to say in my first impressions was um you know we've talked about a few times that this is the shortest movie uh that we've Mm -hmm. watched and one thing that i left as a first impression was um i feel like that i guess i feel like that only amplified the power of the film right and just moving so quickly from seeing people enter the camps to seeing bodies being bulldozed into a mass grave in 30 minutes, I think that just only yeah, made it that much more uh, shocking, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So I was just going to float back to that on the length of I'm it.
0: I'm glad you said that, actually, because I was reminded we didn't do, well, not favorite, right? Favorite is the term, right? But your most most effective scenes, the things you like. The most I uh, before we started recording, as an example, right? The thing I'm sort of happiest about with this film, happy? God, no. I I just I love that we get the present day, which was 1955, right? Because the camps are so abandoned, they're already they're already mostly halfway lost to dust and ash and, and swallowed up by the earth, and I I love that the film went back to to go look at those ruins and to go, no, here they are, because it's now. It's so present. You go know, to the museums, and you can tour Auschwitz, and and it's it's a very well. It's in some ways, right? It's kept in the public consciousness. Um, but even just ten short years later, it was already fading. Is it's eerie to think about what would have happened if people like those who made Night and Fog hadn't come along? So I like those present day shots.
1: Yeah, I. Like like Tim had said at the outset that it was like I was very comforted by the fact that it was only 33 minutes, but like Zeke said, it was no less poignant or effective as a piece of archival data, or 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 it, it just it was. I don't know if I could have handled any more of it, but it did everything it set out to do within that time frame, and it did it so effectively. There's not a wasted frame, and that's the thing. Like I, as it was starting, I was kind of getting ready, and then the the narration was coming up, and the titles, and the, like it was kind of it was going quick. It's like, oh, this is I'm gonna like let me back up and make sure I'm like totally present, not missing anything. And it, it just it moves at a clip. It's not without its changes in pace, but it hammers forward. With I, I mean, it, it, it's it's the film structure and and the way it moves. Is very fascinating, very masterful. Tim Zeke, what are your uh, again? My favorite is not the word to be using here, but you know, shots that stood out to you, specific things that were really powerful, Actually, cinematic techniques that you were. Yeah,
2: there, there was a moment that I forgot to mention earlier uh, when they're first getting onto the trains into like the the train cars. I I, I was kind of oh, like, like I, I remember like thinking like they how how. I don't want to say normal, but like, I guess maybe calm is better. How calm everyone seemed and just sort of like, okay, here's just what's happening. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like violence, you know, like when we see, you know, protests nowadays, and there's like a few cops and they're trying, you know, and like everybody's just fighting. It was just kind of like, come on along here. And then, and then what put it over the edge is as one of the, the German soldiers is like shutting the door, the guy inside, like, like helped him shut the door. I don't know if you caught that. It's like, they showed, I think two or three times where they're closing the doors and like, it was kind of, I don't know if it was more of him just kind of staying out of the way, but it wasn't like, Hey, no, don't lock me in here. It was like, you know, they were kind of shutting it and it was like, Oh, here, and, you know, like from the guy on the inside was like, and it was just like, God damn. And it's like, I mean, I wonder if part of it just has to be like this, this sense of like, you know, they, they, they didn't know what was going to happen to what degree it was going to, you know, escalate, you know? So it's just kind of like, all right, we're just going to do this and it'll be fine. And we'll come back home later, you know? And just like how, how, yeah, it made it, it made it almost worse how, like, how, how smoothly everything was running, you know? And, and, and it must've been, like I said, it must've been a sign of the, 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 the hope that it's just like, yeah, we'll be back home. And even, and 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 i could have just misinterpreted this but the way that when they were kind of waving goodbye you know it almost looked like they were going on a trip you know the way you wave goodbye to someone it it wasn't like these tearful sort of like oh no i'm never going to see you again having to pull them away from their loved ones it was like we're okay we're going on a train all right see you see you see in a little bit you know and it was just the, the waving was just so casual um and yeah, I think that yeah, like I said, I think that almost made it worse. Where it's just like they must, they must have kind of had maybe hope at that point, just like optimism of just like, all right, we're just going to let this happen because, you know, it's only temporary, you know. And yeah, and it was like you know the but, you know they 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 didn't know like we we get to, we have to watch that scene with the, that that knowledge of what this turned into and just kind of see, you know, and, and I think it lined up thematically with that same idea of like when they were building the buildings, saying that thing I said earlier about like, oh yeah, like so-and-so was at school and so-and-so was doing this and, you know, not aware that these buildings were being built, you know, it was that same sort of thing. It's like, oh, they're just getting on a train and, you know, sure. They don't necessarily want to be, but they're going along with it, not kind of knowing the fate that awaits them. And like, yeah, like I, I think it almost would have felt better to see, Some kind of resistance fighting back yeah like you know and but the fact that it was just so so normalized and so and and i mean that must have been part of it is like oh if we if we make it this big scary thing we're gonna have to fight them but if we're just like oh no come on just come on you know and you know how and i mean maybe that's part of it too is like nowadays we have that to look back on and be like don't let people load you on a whole fucking train because you'll never come back you know whereas Mm -hmm. back then there was no precedent for that so Mm -hmm. they were able to just kind of do these things and, and people had no, no, no knowledge of how they should be reacting and like, no, this is, this is a big deal. We need to, we need to stop this now, you know, and you know how that, the, like the I guess the disbelief, of the gas in itself showers. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Like just, Oh, just do this thing, you know, and everything, you know, and this, and you know, then we, we must start thinking like, okay, this is the worst it'll possibly get. So, okay, whatever. And then it's like, it just keeps going a step further and a step further. So, yeah, so that, that scene was very was very shocking to me. I think I was expecting, yeah, more more violence, more resistance and not, not being so normal, like, here, we're going on a train. Okay, see you later.
0: Yeah, there's that bit, one of the door-closing bits, where I was closing the door, a man leans out and asks the guy closing the door something. You can see his mouth move. The guy closing the door responds. And the other guy nods, and then sticks his head back in the train. Mm. What a—I can't read lips, and it's you know a foreign language. But I mean, what a normal yeah. body language dance that was. Right?
1: That made yeah. me think. Oh,
0: what like do you a, think will arrive? Oh, it'll be a couple of hours. Th- I mean, I yeah, just
1: but, as casual as. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, and the the very next sequence, th- this broke broke my mind that the next sequence is they're describing some however long they're on these trains and then a letter falls from one of the train car doors and it in the narration says a letter drops in hope that someone might come to read it someday will it make its destination probably not it probably will just stay there and that just and and that juxtaposed with that moment of this kind of like quiet bureaucratic just load on this train like and and no resistance and just kind of like waiting in the line like the dmv almost like just just going i mean nobody likes to be at the dmv but it's not like nobody is expecting anything more sinister than being at the dmv like that it's it's it was that mundane and then the very next shot was this yeah. silent fluttering of a hopeful cry out to someone. And it, I, that visual was just, I mean, that, that ha- that was footage
0: like that. Yeah. What you said, Tim, about, you know, you want to say to them, don't go uh, in life is beautiful. The Italian film, which is phenomenal. The main character is going to is being deported and his son, but his wife who was a non-Jewish Italian which family is not on the list to be deported. So she comes home from wherever she was and finds her husband and son gone, and she follows and eventually gets to the train station and she keeps trying to throw around her what little weight she has. Um, and the Nazis, the German soldiers there just say, you know, they're being moved, you know. And so she says, finally, having failed to release them, just says, then I demand that you ta- let me go with them. You know, and Right. It again it's fiction, but we're sitting there in the audience going, No, 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 don't don't insist. Yeah. Um Jesus. This very much the show. I do not this next bit is I don't have any idea whether it's true or something I am half remembering reading when I was young. But that when they were moved from place to place like that, it was happened on multiple occasions sometimes. From one camp to another, just to a holding camp or to a ghetto or what have you, right? And I remember hearing just rumor that sometimes they dressed up on purpose because when they figured that when they arrived in front of the Nazi judge or deported to some other non-occupied country, they wanted to make a good impression. Wow. I have no idea whether that's true or just complete BS rumor that comes up after history, but it hurts either way. What about you, Zeke? Uh,
3: yeah. I, well, I first, I think to that, I think that is one takeaway with the with the shoes at the uh, DC museum, because, like I said, you do see a lot of dress shoes, as if people were expecting company or to right, go out or right, like a different destination, right, like a different life ahead, right. No one expected to be headed where they were, so I, I you know, I feel like that rings true. Um, I think mine. The, the scene that struck me was almost the opposite of, of um, what you were getting at, Tim, with just like wanting to see the resistance in that mm-hmm. one. Because I think the one that struck me was where you do see the resistance and they focus on the the scratch marks in the ceiling of the gas chambers. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know what more to say about that, but I think just finally getting to that point in the film where you do see some resistance juxtaposed against everything that came before that showed a lack of resistance or just life there. Um, I, I think that hit pretty hard. And then again, I think the other one that hit hard was the, um, the piles of shoes and glasses and hair and other belongings. Um, just again, because of the, the museum experience, um, and, you know, having gotten to see the shoes in person, um, you know, I think that's just another one that stuck with me.
0: I think we can start wrapping our episode up here. Um, but before we step away to our situational movie recommendation, I just have one little end cap, I suppose. Uh, maybe we'll post the film list for my class on the site as well. I mean, it's pretty long, but but either way, you should watch Night and Fog. It's short, won't take much of your time. And if you're listening to this right now, I think you owe it. To, to the victims. If not by watching the film, by visiting a museum, or I, th- I think we all have a responsibility, a human responsibility, to remember and to stay vigilant. And to that end, I'm going to read the final lines of Night and Fog that I wrote down. There are those who refused to believe or believed only for brief moments. With our sincere gaze, we survey these ruins as if the old monster lay crushed forever beneath the rubble. We pretend to take up hope again as the image recedes into the past, as if we were cured once and for all of the scourge of the camps. We pretend it all happened only once, at a given time and place. We turn a blind eye to what surrounds us, and a deaf ear to humanity's never-ending cry. The lines before that are considerably more optimistic. But I think they chose these to be the last lines on purpose so to lighten the mood situational (laughs) movie recommendation for this episode is what are you going to go watch to make yourself feel better (laughs) after this after watching this
1: it's a really hard month to do i mean it's hard to do 31 days of horror after this like I, i in terms of like just joy like
2: actually i have a question joel Does this count as your horror film for the day? I think you should just count it and be like, I'm not going to watch it. This was the film.
1: I watched it yesterday and then I watched uh, Final Destination which was kind of a great counterpoint to it because I liked Final Destination but it's kind of the cheesiest of the like 90s horror franchises and I enjoyed every minute of it for that because it's death that's out to get you. Like You 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 cheated death and you get to have this. The whole movie is dramatic irony, so you're watching the water kind of leak, and they 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 have these kind of ridiculous deaths, and it's kind of it captures a very specific like pre-school trip thing. Like it, it it was a good one to follow in terms of like it was light, it was 90s, it was a little like self-indulgent and a little silly and it, it just very a product of its time and and but in, in terms of like something that would make me just like feel good i mean like animated robin hood batman forever godzilla 98 just like the 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 god-awful movies that i like that are bad but that are just fun to what like tommy boy some like something dumb and fun like role models would be a great follow up to this just like yeah. so, so as a palate cleanser something that like star wars would be yeah. a great little like like just departure quite literally pun intended like from from the world of this like i what i ended up watching right at like afterwards yesterday was the first final destination and that mm-hmm. was a good kind of counterpoint and something that held my attention and kind of got very me fantasy
0: out. very
1: yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah fantasy adventure
0: one of my go-to feel-good movies is the indiana jones films but and you need to those see involve... punching nazis though You're right two of those yep. involve him punching nazis on the one hand is great but on the other hand is also a reminder yeah um inside out tends to be my emotional purge film. that's a good, that's a good or...
3: cry yeah
0: yeah but then if if we're talking about something fun i like to mention star wars i hadn't even thought of that I was thinking about Pacific Rim. Yeah. I, it makes me feel similar to Indiana Jones, and in that's this great big action adventure, right? But it has less baggage. i
3: was <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah. just thinking uh, Ted Lasso, because mm-hmm. Ted Lasso is a person that we could all aspire to be. Yeah. Um, but this isn't TV show mobile, it's a movie mobile. So <laughs> uh, I will say I started um, through on... Legally Blonde the other night, because in this house and from the, from the bottom of my heart, I support Reese Witherspoon. I love her so much, and so I'm going to go finish uh, Legally Blonde.
1: That movie is so fucking good. It, and it, it holds up. like Every moment of that movie holds up. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. There's jokes see the in there still
3: cracking up. Chance.
0: For one the stage.
1: They wrote it as a musical and yes it's,
0: it's even ah,
1: Gay or European is a song in the yes. musical. It's outstanding. Just perfect. I want to like, see it. <laughs> bend and snap. Gay or European. <laughs> yep. That might have to be my next pick now that we're talking about it. I love the way it. want.
3: Where do you get to see the musical? Do
1: they have it? Oh well, like
3: I a
0: recorded it, version? I worked the production. I don't know. Oh For sure they, they,
1: <laughs> they had it on MTV. They did, like, a... a, a MTV, like a, of all places. Yeah! They, they aired it on MP, MTV when I was in, like, high school. And oh, nice. my sister, like, recorded it, and I caught bits and pieces of it because I was, like, resist like, some bullshit misogynist ideology. <laughs> it's like, I can't watch this for girls. But fucking incredible. It's a great fucking movie. Love Lily Blonde. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Tim? What are you going to watch to feel better?
2: I don't know. I mean, it, it might be a while... Nathan, for I a you. chance to is watch That's it. fair, right?
0: TV's allowed. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> right. Well, if it's actually if it's if it's TV, what we're probably going to watch tonight is uh, and I'll give a little plug for this on Hulu Reservation Dogs. You guys yes! haven't seen that yet. Yes. Oh, it's so, so good. good! That show is incredible. Uh, so, Everybody should watch it. Yeah, so I'm probably going to watch that. Um, uh, as far as movies, actually, I just found out. So uh there's a TV show Psych that I used to watch, and my sister sent me a trailer for the third Psych movie. I didn't know there were two others. Oh, okay. so Wait, at some what? point I've got to watch. <laughs> yeah, they made movies. a movie, I guess.
1: Damn, I guess. Oh, okay,
2: yeah, I guess they're Seems on. Looks like people. I got a watch <laughs> list now. I know.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I forget what season I stopped watching, so I should probably catch up and actually watch the rest of the show first, because the season I watched ended on a huge cliffhanger. And that actually might have been where they started the movies, because that might have been why I stopped watching it. But anyway, that's definitely on my list, which is a super fun show to watch, so
1: it'll be great to hang out with Sean and Dustin again. So, real quick, Psych is the one where they're, like, faking being psychic detectives, right? They're not really clairvoyant. He's actually, like, his dad was a cop,
2: and he's hyper-observant. So, he'll walk into a room and see, like, all these details that people miss, and then he
1: pretends to be psychic, yeah. Gotcha. So, he's kind of got, like, an eidetic memory more than clairvoyance. Yeah. It is a little bit, if you saw the new
0: Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch, that was really Mm -hmm. trading off of the cinematic stuff they did with Psych. Oh, okay. Like they cool. use a very similar visual language to
1: detail the way I, they observe. I it out. I didn't have any yeah. interest before, but now I'm like, that sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also great, too.
2: Exactly yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. There are tons of like pop culture references, too. Like, um, isn't Ralph Macchio on like one episode or something like that? <laughs> yeah. I think he plays like a karate instructor or something like that. So, like, you know, there's an oh, and there's um, a pineapple in every episode, whether it's a physical pineapple or they mention a pineapple. Like, that's a little Easter egg that, like, every episode, you know, to find a pineapple, whether it's something, or sometimes it'll be, like, a picture of a pineapple, some some reference to a pineapple in every episode. Just a warning, though, the season finales are always super dark.
0: But then you have the next season opener to watch right away, (laughs)
2: right? Right? because you're streaming,
1: so don't stop there. Well, Scott, I, it seems odd to say thank you for bringing this film, but I am very grateful to have had this conversation. I I, I think we did okay. I mean, we, we constantly apologize for the things we didn't know, and I think that's a good place to start. So it, it was very, it was, it was great to get to talk to you guys about this, people I love and respect, and to get insights on your lives through kind of the lens of World War II and, film language and in our experiences with this. so i thanks scott this was a really special episode but not the whisper kind yeah thank thank you all for i mean for enduring
0: really i know this is a lot and i know it was a very unusual episode i mean if you if you want to air it out of order even and get another normal episode in just to to not traumatize our audience too much i wouldn't blame you (laughs) I know it's very unusual and it's, it's very difficult. So thank you, yeah. all three of you. And thank you, listeners, if you've made it this far. I, Like I said earlier, I do think we have a responsibility to keep this going. I would encourage all of you to, to watch Night and Fog if you get a chance. It's short, um, you know, as opposed to Showa, which is nine and a half hours, right. much more dedication. And to look at some of the sources we've got posted with the episode, Again, you know, reputable historical sources. And I would encourage you all to go watch a film that will make you happy. And, uh, you know, raise a glass in thanks to those who came before. Next up is going to be Tim. Sorry I made you follow all this. But uh, hopefully Sorry. you'll be cheering us up
2: with your pick. Right?
1: I don't uh, think you will be. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, you
2: know. I don't know if it's going to cheer Let's us see. up. It'll definitely be different. <laughs> um, so I am bringing Tenet. Ooh. Um, okay. Yes. I'm excited. And part, part of why I'm bringing this, and, and and Scott, we may have to discuss this further, but... Sure. Um, I, I do want to also be able to talk about Memento, because part of why I'm bringing it is I see, like, I, I've kind of, you know, been hit or miss with Christopher Nolan. You know, like, I... You know, it was during my blockbuster days when Memento came out. I loved it. It was like, you know, again, him and I feel like both he and, and uh, uh, Aronofsky, uh, Aronofsky. Thank you, Aronofsky. You know, yeah, Aronofsky were like, I, I thought on a parallel track where it was like, oh, they both had this first indie black and white film. And then their second film was like kind of, you know, an indie hit, not a blockbuster, but an indie hit. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time people saying that like, oh, Christopher Nolan did the three things you're not supposed to do when you have a successful film early in your career. Do an adaptation, or you do a remake, have a, a, a cast that, like, you know, you've, you know these big-name actors, and um, what was the third one? Work with children, yeah, or one.
1: animals, or something like that?
2: No, that's just in general, yeah. <sighs> that's oh, no, right. big budget. Yeah. That's big what it budget. was. That's like, what have a was. huge budget, yeah, huge budget, right. and he did all three. It was a huge budget, huge big-name actors, and it was a remake of a foreign film. Um, so I feel like, um, it's been interesting following his, you know, and then kind of into the dark night stuff, which it's like, yeah, cool. You're, you know, you're doing comic book stuff like that, that totally vibes. Like I'm into that. Um, and then, you know, like with inception, it was, kind of, there were things that were great about inception, but also things that were kind of like not so great. Um, uh, you know, and I feel like he's been at the very least controversial, you know, uh, like, you know, and, and again, when we get to, um, um, what's the space one interstellar instead of, you know, and I, I feel like a bunch of people had different issues with that. And I still
1: haven't um, seen that one. I really want to see it still. Nor have I.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and, and then we, so, you know, I, there was, I feel like there was a shadow looming over tenant and it was just like, what, what is this going to be? And I remember I finally watched it and I was like, yeah, that was my feeling was like, Oh, he kind of like came full circle. And part of that, Uh, you know, for those of you who know at least a little bit about Memento and a little bit about uh, Tenet is they have to do with time and the way the story is told. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in my opinion, this was the movie that like Memento had been training for. And like all of his other films kind of led up to this movie, not that it's like the best movie or he will never make a movie better than that. But I feel like, and and, you know, some of the journey I've gone through kind of sometimes as a, as a composer where, you know, you have these things that are your ideas, and then you you go to school and you learn some stuff and you cram all these other ideas into your head and you've got to kind of like let all those things grind together. And then you finally go like, oh, okay, I finally figured out how to take all of my kind of what's my inspiration and all of the stuff that I've learned along the way and marry them together and plop, here's this, you know, you know, screaming baby boy. And that's, I feel like that's what uh-huh. 10 is. Is, is the thing that was like, you know, the core of it was there when he made Memento, that was like the, the, the fire of inspiration of him as a filmmaker. And then he kind of, I feel like got pulled in all these different directions and was, you know, had things that were maybe hits, maybe misses, but he learned a bunch. And then, you know, Tenet was kind of the culmination of everything. And again, I don't, I don't know that if he considers that to be his best film or not, if, um, you know he'll probably make films after that. I'm sure. Maybe some of them will be better, but I, I definitely see this this connection and through line all the all way. All the different mementos, and yeah, and you could even say that to following too, because following had some of the same elements. But I feel like even between following and memento, you see how he took some of the the cool, you know, student filmmaker stuff he uh-huh. used in in following but applied it in a way that was actually relevant to the story in Memento. And I feel like that happens with Tenet also. And it's, it's a, it's a bigger sort of storytelling perspective
1: because of that. Um, but so anyway, Scott, I, I really want to have homework. You have double homework, double plus homework. You need to see Memento. So we don't spoil which it for you. To, yeah, well, to be I, fair, you should have seen Memento. By I sure. <laughs> no. It's on my shelf, but that was, yeah. I was
0: going
2: to ask, do you want me to not have to be the guy who? No, no. I want you to watch it. I, I I don't want to spoil anything for you. I want to be able okay. to have, and uh, I was joking with, uh, with Joel about this. I watched rewatched some of Brooklyn nine, nine. And there's a part where they reference memento. And there's a part at the end where, you know, he's like, Oh, I finally watched memento. Oh, what'd you think? It was okay. And they just awkwardly <laughs> stare at each other for the, and I was like, that's uh, going to be me and Scott in the podcast. Like, Oh, you finally saw memento. It was all right. Well, I did see Ted at first. That'll be a new perspective. Yeah. hmm Again. yeah so well awesome. and that's what i'm interested to see is that you having seen tenant first, first and yeah. with that yeah. in mind and then watch memento and be like oh okay i see you know how cool. this is playing out you know zeke
1: yeah. have you seen tenant i haven't seen tenant yeah okay. okay no me neither mm-hmm. so but we've okay. we've both seen memento yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. good because we're americans and we do our fucking <laughs> duty scott <laughs> <laughs> it's those you know grew up with shelves
0: shelves full of movies and just some of them i 've never looked at, browsed through you know at, at growing up in california and and memento was one that I like brought with me home from a Christmas visit when I was in college or something, so I was like, "Oh yeah, this is supposed to be good. I recognized this one, mm-hmm. and then it sat around my dorm, and then I lost track of it, and now it 's back and i
4: it's
2: <laughs> it's somewhere it must be i 'm sure it 's here, I don 't know where. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing was, I, I toyed with the idea of bringing Memento first and then doing Tenet <laughs> yeah. later. But I was like, I don't want this to turn into another Aronofsky trilogy or like a Matrix thing. It's just like I, I, I want to be able to discuss this, but I don't want it hmm. to to span four months to have this conversation. You know. So I was like, I was like, okay, Scott's the only one who hasn't seen it. Like, you know, sure.
0: Okay, sounds
2: good. I'll, I'll do my homework.
0: I just saw Tenet again very recently, so maybe I'll just oh, watch nice. Memento. Instead of Tenet. Yeah, oh,
1: man, there you dude. go. Yeah. So you want yeah. to do have the film backwards. Bring the film. <laughs>
0: yeah. Bring <laughs> it
1: to life. I totally, <laughs> I feel like I'll watch Memento again too, because I, I love that film and I have only seen it once. Yeah. So I, I, I watched oh it and I left it because I was like, I need to forget every detail of this so I can watch it as close to the first time again as, as possible. Mm. Nice. <laughs> but but yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll watch, watch P- it. Yeah. It's a double, I mean, double feature double feature. Yeah. Movie mumble double feature.
2: Boom. Well memento,
0: wonderful.
1: Double stuff. I'm so excited to talk about this. Zink's <laughs> Zeke- reluctant smile got me, sorry. <laughs> He's like, you dumbass. Do I laugh? Do I not? <laughs> do I laugh or do I laugh condescendingly? Right? That was the same yeah. face you made when I made the uh uh um Motel, hotel, Holiday Inn joke. When we were talking about um, uh, the uh, ho- uh, uh, bad times at the El Royale, you say like motel, uh, motel, and I say Holiday Inn, uh, and then you're uh-huh. so mad, but you also laugh because you're like, okay, fu- solid ref, solid ref, that joke. one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be wonderful already. Thank you, Tim. Thank you in advance. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Be great. Thank you all again for joining me, and thank you, listeners. I hope you have a good evening. Good night.
1: Bye. 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 Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at Movie Mumble NTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.